you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to Patreon.com slash Media. Salutations, welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 160. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son, Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you today? I'm all right. I think I got like, I had one of those sleeps where like I, I woke up every two hours, you know? Mm. So like, mm. eh, not ideal, but you know, overall, can't complain too much. Sure. It's funny, I had the exact opposite problem well not problem it's a good thing where i i knew i slept pretty consistently because i had substantial eye boogers when i woke up which typically ah. only happens when one doesn't you know open their eyes for some time to come uh dustin Furman, executive producer co-host how are you today i'm doing well got a nice uh since we're ta- wa- talking sleep i slept more than normal last night i went to bed at like 11 30 which is absurd for wow. me usually but That's then great. i slept into like nine so some must have been off, but I feel great now. So let's I'm ready for a, a good show. Well, it's good to see everyone out there and uh, be here with all of you today for another episode of Sacred Symbols, of PlayStation podcast. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last media like more than 12,000 of you do right now. We really do 
appreciate it very much. We could not do the show without you. You get early ad-free access to every episode of this show. You get exclusive access to two episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus every week. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show, and so on and so forth. I do want to apologize to some people. I have been reading a few exit surveys on Patreon recently. Most people don't leave any notes when they leave, but some people do. Usually it's an apology, which I feel really bad about. Like, you know, and it's like some insane apology. Like, I'm sorry, I just lost my job and my mortgage is getting foreclosed on and I have to. You know, it's like some fucking horrible thing. But every once in a while, someone someone will write in and they'll kind of opine about their questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas not being used. And I want to apologize about that. It's just that we get, as I'm sure you see when you submit them, like sometimes 200 or more submissions. We can maybe fold in, if I'm being aggressive, 15 or so. So maybe 20 on like a really verbose episode. So I apologize about that. But remember, you get lots of different perks and we appreciate your support over there. So thank you. I also wanted to pimp out real quick, if I might, our merch. We don't talk too much about it or haven't recently, but it's going. People are still buying it. It's awesome. Chris is wearing a shirt right now. You can go to lastdamnmedia.shop and check out our shirts and our sweatshirts. We have awesome vinyl stickers and other things. We really appreciate your support over there all printed and shipped from the United States, made in fair trade practices uh, by people who are not sweatshop laborers, which is always nice and different than a lot of merch other people sell. So please do support us over there if you can. We appreciate you. We also have an exciting thing to note. As we noted last week, we're doing a live show, a test balloon, as I call it, in Western Pennsylvania. That show is totally sold out. In fact, it sold out in about 30 minutes, only to patrons and never even got exposed to the the non-paying audience, which we're sorry about. So I wanted to make a couple of notes about this, guys, before I pontificate further. The big thing is, and I know this is bad marketing and I don't care, is that, of course, we're going to record the show. Of course, we're going to record the show. So I know people feel like they're going to miss out. Uh, It's going to be better in person, but there's never going to be a time when we do a live show that it's not going to be recorded and published at a later time. That's just not how I roll. And uh, I don't feel like every anyone, you know, we listen to live music, right? And you buy like a live album or you listen to a live album, but it's it's good. It's fun, but it's way cooler mm-hmm. to be there. But you get the option of listening to it live if you can't be there. So I wanted to make that note. And the second thing is, is I know a lot of people felt that they didn't have enough time to, to consider it and all this kind of stuff before the t- tickets went on sale. We hear you loud and clear. But remember, this is just a test. So don't be upset if you didn't get in this time. If, if we learn positive things from this experience, which I think we will, we'll be back and you'll get your opportunity next time. So we really do appreciate the love, kindness, and support you've shown there. And again, props to Dustin and, of course, Ben Smith, our associate producer, for the wonderful work they're doing there. And, oh, I, I guess I said that D.B. Cooper, you wrote in about this. I'm sorry. I just totally skipped your question about that. A couple other things I want to note. Sacred Symbols Plus recently, we did a couple of interesting ones. Another call-in show uh, we did. I'm doing an interview shortly uh, tomorrow, actually, the same day this goes live for patrons with a uh, a disability advocate who's going to talk to me about um, accessibility in games. And I'm really excited about that. I want to get Chris on the phone line soon with people maybe in the next week or two and start folding some other yeah. people in. So that'll be fun. So yeah, that's, that's basically it. Now I've said a lot there, Chris, I want to know how you're feeling about the live show, about how you're feeling about seeing everyone, you know, we're going to be with like, you know, 250 or 300 people, something like that. I don't know what it is. Something, something outrageous. And it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. And the crazy thing is, is we probably could have sold out a thousand plus person venue doing this show, but we really don't <laughs> want to get crazy with it yet. So are you excited about how you feeling about that? Yeah, no, I'm stoked. Like I, I've been to, um, I mean, ever since we started uh, the show, like I, I've been to various like cons. I've, I've been to PAX and E3 and like people have come up 
recognizing me from the show and they've always been like really cool and it'll be I think it'll be a lot of fun to be in an area that's like specifically all for it. I'm cu- I'm curious because when I go to those cons, it's always like a mix of people who are like, hey, I know you from this, you know, like I know you from the channel or I know you from this podcast or I know you from Snark Tank or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see like the uh, just one focused audience, you know, I'm kind of interested to see yeah, that. Me too. And I have a cool format I think is going to work for our show in terms of we're doing the best games of all time. I want everyone to kind of present their game and defend it to everyone else. And I think it'll be a fun little exercise. We'll spend a few hours with each other. Dustin, how are you feeling about, you know, the the promise of it's kind of your first live show as a as someone people want to see like, a, you know, quote unquote talent. I always hate that word, but, you know, right. Well, the thing that's really odd for me um, is just that it's in my hometown and I am completely invisible in this town. I've never once been recognized. I have met one person that I didn't know that uh, knew and listened to the show. And so the weird thing about all this is that like when we put the tickets live last Friday, Mm. uh, we had a block of a hotel that's very close. And apparently the hotel block sold out before the tickets even went live. And so Ben knows the hotel manager there and she called him and was like, our phones are ringing off the hook like never before. Like we've never in, in the two or three years this hotel has been open. This has never happened. And they compl- I think the whole whole entire hotel is booked with pretty much just our fans, which is cool. So it's just like uh, I'm like wondering if the word's going to get out around here like uh some internet company is holding an, an event here with and people are flying in around the country and so it's um it makes it feel a little more uh not mis- it's not mysterious to us but i i like this the fact we're doing this kind of under under the radar of the locals yeah it's weird how that all worked out that it ended up in your hometown strange uh okay so we'll continue to yeah you know update you guys on this and i don't want anyone to fear we're also doing the the kind of free picnic gathering someone again on twitter was like well you guys are just going to gather in like a park and i'm like the <laughs> our associate producer is the mayor i'm going to do whatever the fuck i want in that town that's right they're going to be lucky I, I, it's going to be like some sort of some sort of <laughs> walking dead situation where i'm going to like take over a township they're going to they're going to call mm. me colin the colin is what they're going to call me and i'm going to my my weapon is going to be a hockey stick yeah like casey jones uses they're going to rename the uh the town after you just for that yeah. day, though. Do you remember when they right. did that with Conan O'Brien? They named that uh, that uh, college Conan O'Brien College, but only for 24 hours on a <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I'm excited about this. Thank you so much for your love, kindness, and support out there for all of that. Sacred Symbols Plus, Patreon, merch. We appreciate you. All right. Wanted to say, Vita, so July 20th has passed. Vita's entire library now exists basically on the shop. I think a few more games will trickle forward but i wanted to let everyone know it's kind of now this thing's kind of frozen it's it's it is what it is and pretty interesting we ended up getting an update out for hybroxia 2 on there which i'm pleased about Uh, a couple other things to note here just quick notes before we get into more earnest conversations if you go to the playstation blog the official playstation blog there is a write-up and new video for ghost of tsushima and the iki island uh expansion and I don't want to watch the video and I don't want to read about it because I want to go in surprised. But if you want to go check that out, you're more than welcome to. 
I thought I'd let everyone know also, Chris, I'm curious what you think of this. The HBO series uh, for The Last of Us is tracking at more than $10 million per episode, which means the first season will cost over $100 million. It's a massive investment in this IP. What do you think of that? Also in Canada, so uh, it's it, uh, apparently these, these numbers came out because it's like doing massive benefits for this local community. And uh, that's where I read it. So what do you think about that? That price tag It's pretty pricey. Yeah, I mean, uh, cool for that community, I guess. But uh, I I, uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, better ways $100 million could be used. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah, it seems, if it seems excessive. If you're a games company, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, I that's know. basically, now HBO is paying this. Who knows what Sony is investment in this. They might just be getting licensing money for all we know. But Dustin, what do you think about that? $10 million price tag. I um, I find it extraordinary just because the first season of the HBO Last of Us will co- have cost more than the Last of Us cost to make the original one. Wow. Oh, man, that's a very interesting comparison to make. It is cool. It's cool in a way because we're seeing these like very inflated budgets for television like uh, Amazon. Uh, this was a report back in April, but they're spending $465 million on the first season of Lord of the Rings uh that the new like prequel type show that they're doing and so to see hbo also like be like yeah we're, we're going all in it's good it's uh hbo needs something you know they kind of haven't really had a huge mainstream hit since game of thrones ended and maybe they see this as as that next thing you know they already have a launching point of the already established fan base of last of us so Maybe they maybe this spells some some confidence. Yeah, it could. It's it's a it's a mighty investment. And I, I, I was caught by that. I'm more and more interested in doing it. And I don't know if I said this, but what I would like to do might have said this in passing, either either on the show or privately to one of you. But it would be fun is when the show appears. I think it won't be on until 2022. But when that 10 week run, one of the two episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus every week will be a, like a, a discussion about the show. I think that would be really a fun way to incorporate more of the related PlayStation licensing and products that are going to be coming out. For instance, when PlayStation mobile games start coming out, I think we'll be covering them on the show. I mean, I I, I feel like it's more essential now than PlayStation mobile and all the Xperia stuff and all the stuff they, they've done in the past. And so in that same spirit, when these TV shows and movies and all of this come out, I think we need to find a place to discuss them. And I think Sacred Symbols Plus would be a great place to do that. So looking forward to that as well. One more note, GDC Game Developer Conference in San Francisco 2022 will be in person. It's big news because GDC hasn't been in person for a couple of years. And it's also big news. And I think important news because GDC, I've been to many times. I always said it was my favorite show and it is, although I don't think the people that run it really like me. But um, it's just a show where you just go to different sessions of people talking in very granular ways about the way they make games, about the way they sell games, about the way games are conceived and all of the rest. And it's just fascinating. All of it is put up on YouTube later on, but it's important to note that this is in person because this is a great place for developers to meet each other, for indies to meet publishers, for money to find games, et cetera, and so on. And so I think that post GDC, I think the summer of 2022, we'll have GDC in the spring, summer E3. I think that summer is going to be very explosive in terms of game announcements, deals. There's a lot of money in the wings right now. I can tell you, I talk to people, there's money on deck waiting to be spent. GDC is a great place to find people that want to talk to you, take meetings and all the rest. So wanted to give a shout out for that. Now, 
a more serious topic, Dustin, I wanted to kick this one over to you. This came out last night from the time in which we're recording, and I haven't gone through most of the legal documents that have not been shared more publicly. But Activision Blizzard is being sued by California. The state of California is widely reported for an IGN reports frat boy culture and sexual harassment. Um, this follows a multi-year investigation by the state. And you can check out the full details of the lawsuit online there. They're public as lawsuits are. So what did you make of, of this? This is on the back of a lot of drama at Ubisoft. And I actually talked a little bit about that on David Jaffe's stream when I was on there last week. Uh, what do you make about these this new this new outpouring of information of the culture of some of these ma massive publishers? I think the most interesting aspect to me, not that that this makes the you know to d dismiss other claims but this one feels more solid to me in the fact that it is a two from a two-year investigation by the california department of fair employment and housing so this is some this isn't just um i don't want to say just i want to make sure i portray this right way this isn't this is beyond some employees coming together to expose um the company right um and you know, there's there can be validity to that as well. But this is Activision Blizzard, you have to imagine, is sweating right now, uh, especially if these accusations are true. It's a two year investigation. And I'd be curious what I don't know what the how it works when actual state governments file suit against companies. I'd have to imagine that they wouldn't do that unless they were pretty confident they would win. But it's been interesting. I, Activision Blizzard has put out a statement as well saying that uh, they believe the DFEH, which is that uh, organization through the state of California I mentioned a moment ago, included distorted in many cases false descriptions of Blizzard's past. And they said they've been extremely cooperative with them. So they're already kind of put out a statement this saying that, you know, this is this is not uh, as true. They said it's distorted, which is not a complete denial, which is kind of interesting as well. But some of the stuff in this report, very bad, yeah. very, very bad. And um, it's, uh, you know, this is one of those situations where I like I am very happy to see them go to court. I'm I would love to see all the evidence laid out. And if these things are true, then, yeah, people should uh pay for that because it's not good yeah so chris just to to lay into some of these specific i guess accusations there's a whole vertical of accusations about women basically being ignored and or passed over and or kind of paid less or whatever in the corporate structure so there's this whole discrimination angle in addition to that there's a whole angle of and vertical of inappropriate behavior at the studio, which is, I think is its own vertical. So people saying and doing inappropriate things. And then there is a third vertical, which I think is maybe the most serious, which is the overt sexual harassment of women. So I think there's these three verticals of complaints in the, in the document. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so what, what is your, what, what in your mind is going on here? I mean, it seems pretty grisly, dude. Like so, so, some of the stuff in there was, um, sincerely shocking to the point where like I don't, I don't even really feel feel comfortable saying some of the stuff because it's like it's this doesn't necessarily surprise me so much as it uh, especially just because like you know Activision's been <laughs> raking in so much money for so long that like it's it seems to me like 
what's the saying? Absolute power <laughs> corrupts. Oh, absolute absolutely. power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I don't know. This isn't the same. Uh, you know, this is a very different Activision from decades past, and uh, I'm very curious to see like how this turns out because this seems to be like like Dustin said. This seems to be the most egregious example of anything like this that I, I think I've ever seen. Like I was reading through some of it. I skimmed a lot of it because it's it's so much. But if if literally even just half of this is true or even like a quarter of this is true it, and it highly depends on like from what vertical also. If any amount of this is true then they're they're in I think they're in a pretty big amount of trouble. Uh I I don't think I've ever seen the state sue a games company like this. Yeah, it California and the attorney general in California notoriously activist, which is fine. That's what they vote for and the people in California vote for. So that's representing them. And it's yeah, it's it's less cut, cut and dry because it's not like the state is charging someone with murder. It's a this is a more white collar and civil kind of situation with the exception of a few you know, of these overt could be harassment. Uh, I don't know if it's assault. I don't know if it gets that far, but. It's funny because I was talking about something similar on David Jaffe's show last week where we were talking about Ubisoft and someone had, I think we saw, maybe someone had called in about it because we did call-ins on his show on a stream. And I was saying that I'm surprised that with Ubisoft, which is a more, which is a, a problem that we've known about longer. So it's had this chance to kind of come out and go through all of its different waves and get figured out over a couple of years. And I was saying to him that like, to me, Occam's razor suggests that maybe the people that are left behind at Ubisoft that were accused of things didn't do anything or like they were investigated because why would Ubisoft be so proclamative of 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 saying like our, our culture is different we're writing these letters from Eves Gilman and all this and then we see that that's kind of collapsing in on itself where there's a lot of new ac accusations going on at Ubisoft so we have no real idea what's going on there and then I you know to Dustin's point I, I see this this statement from Activision and the same thing comes to mind for me where I'm like why would you say this if you didn't really feel like you could defend yourself uh, that's the thing that is interesting to me when they released their statement shortly after this stuff came out, I was like, well, this puts a little bit of a different spin on it because I believe most of these accusations to be true. But I also think that Activision is comfortable enough for Blizzard. You know, they're the same thing. They're comfortable enough defending themselves. And so to your point, Dustin, I want to see this go to court. I don't think they might settle. Right. I doubt it. Maybe they'll California might be able to extract tens of millions of dollars and penalties on Activision Blizzard and put this away but hopefully it does actually go to court and then we see what the accusations are and if and can, when they can be defended and then we'll have a better understanding of what happened and what the conclusion should be because these are serious accusations a lot of them I did want to separate though those into verticals and I, I wanted to say this because I think that one vertical of inappropriateness general Let's call a general frat boyishness that's not over the line sexual and that's not something that encourages a certain group of people, in this case, women to be not promoted, all that. That little vertical to me seems to be defensible from Activision's point of view. We're a video game company. We hire man children, basically, that never grow up. They had a lot of these people. I, I, see, I worked in the industry for years, right? So I know there are people that have no social grace have never spoken to a woman have, you know what I mean? You know, like I'm not even being facetious. It's like, there's, 
yeah, there yeah, are yeah. there are normal people in gaming, and then there are a lot of awkward ass people per capita, way more than you would probably find in many other industries. And so that particular vertical might be where Activision is willing to defend itself, saying like, well, yeah, this guy played Call of Duty all day and didn't work. I mean, it's, you know, we're a video game company, but I think they're going to have a, lo- a harder time defending these other things. And I think that's where people want to go at them. And that's where I want to get more information extracted. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later when we talk about Sumo Digital, because I want to talk about now our own complicity as gamers and consumers in this entire ecosystem. But I'm going to save it for now. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure to bring that up so people knew what was going on there. And likewise, and I said earlier, Ubisoft is dealing with a whole smattering of new accusations out of its home country of France. Basically, they're being accused of, quote unquote, institutional sexual harassment. And this comes on the back of what I was saying prematurely, I guess, on Jaffe stream, which was maybe Ubisoft is evening things out, but it seems like it's just getting worse and worse for them. So keep an eye out on that as well. And then uh, I just wanted to let everyone else know as well that and this just came out. If you go to PlayStation.com or just go to just search on Google, you can get six months of Apple TV, like Apple TV Plus, whatever they call it, the streaming service for free just for owning a PS5 and then unifying your name, like your Apple name to your PlayStation name. So if you're interested in that streaming service, you can go check that out as well. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, here we go. Alex Shoot wrote in and said, look fat, blessed day. I'm surprised that none of you mentioned when talking about the reveal of Steam Deck that we are now able to play AAA PlayStation Studio games on the go. We have Horizon and Days Gone handheld now with the addition of probably God of War and many other first party outputs. Surely this is a bigger deal, even even the death, uh, given the death of Vita under his eye. Alex, what's with all of the weird Handmaid's Tale references? First of all, <laughs> the bad guys say blessed day and under his eye. And they're fascists. So maybe not wanting to say that necessarily. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Chris, what do you think about this? We have a handheld PS4, some people are claiming, through the Steam Deck. I'm not, I mean, I guess so, but it's, I'm still not, I think it's a great idea. I'm, I'm happy that this is happening, but I don't, I, I, I quite, I see some optimism in the PlayStation family, like, oh, this is kind of giving us what we want. I'm like, well, didn't we want a PlayStation device? Yeah, I mean, but they're clearly not going to make it, you know, so I guess it's it's more just like, oh, we're going we're gonna to take what we can get. And if we can get a machine that plays Horizon, God of War, potentially Ghosts of Tsushima at some point down the line portably, then like, hell yeah, we'll we'll take that and we'll be happy with it, whether it comes from Sony or not, because ultimately you, you are you. I, I think there is validity to this this statement like, oh, yeah, yeah, we finally got this machine where we can 
play, you know, God of War on the go. But my my mind just keeps saying, who is playing God of War? On, who wants to play God of War on the go? Like, who wants to play The Last of Us 2 on a train? Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> that part of it. Because I feel like, I feel like, uh, oh my god, what's that director who always gets mad at people watching movies on their phones? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That Christopher Nolan. Is it Chris? Oh, or is it J.J. Abrams? No, one no of the two. it's like, uh, No, like you're David talking about Lynch the old, the, or something? Oh, Dave, yeah. Cause so, I was thinking of yeah. someone else even entirely, like the guy that, that, uh. Yeah, anyway, the guy that does all of the Mafia mafia movies. Yeah, He's yeah. always mad about it. Too. Oh, uh, Scorsese, yeah. Scorsese, yeah. It's, it, it reminds me of that where it's like, maybe, I, maybe I'm channeling this attitude a little bit too much. You can tell me if I am. But, like, I feel like things like The Last of Us and God of War and, like, Ghost of Tsushima, I feel like playing them on a handheld, I don't know. I feel like that robs a lot of it, personally. Like, it might, it might be cool in theory, but, like, I don't see you really getting invested in a game like that on a like in a public place like I just I don't I, I think there's a reason why the DS and the Game Boy and the PSP and these like kind of not gimped but like more appropriately powered handhelds were were so successful and I think it's because they scaled the type of games that people would play in association with where people would be when they would play them so like stuff like WarioWare and on on DS and stuff like that was a perfect perfect DS game, you know. And even Phoenix Wright, something that's a little more story heavy, but like super simple and like like really like easily digestible. I don't know if God of War is exactly the kind of game that people would be playing portably, even if they could. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's like a couple people out there, but I would bet that most people, if they had the option to play God of War on a PC or a portable, would probably pick. <laughs> the PC. That would be my guess. But so so the Steam Deck just confuses me just from like a who is this for standpoint. It's really exciting and really cool because there are definitely certain games that I wish were portable that are now able to be. But I, I don't know. I think people are getting a little blown away or, or carried away with uh, this. Um, hey, this is this is the 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 solution to the lack of Vita. You know, you're not gonna get. Because you're not going to be getting those good Vita games now. You're just—it's just, just going to be ports of, not even ports, but like just like PC versions of previous games you've already played. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and Dustin, I think it's it's kind of a mirror of what we even experienced with Vita ten years ago when everyone everyone was saying a lot of the same stuff that Chris was just saying now, where it's like, well, why would you want to play Uncharted on a handheld when you can play Uncharted on your PS3? And I remember. USP Shuei Yoshida on Twitter once saying like does you like roasting someone saying like does your iPhone have Uncharted and it it seemed like in 2011 that was very clever and fun but it didn't end up mattering in an ironic way God of War is a good example because we got two God of War games on PSP and Sony didn't even really seem it seem that worried about bringing it ever to the new one in fact the most AAA game we ever got out of Sony for Vita was at launch and so there is something there is some sort of dissonance here about what a handheld is supposed to be. And I think Vita got caught in that crossfire or fire already, which is why I think Sony is gun shy this time. Right. I was just thinking Chris mentioned, you know, inevitably someday The Last of Us Part Two will be on PC and thus on Steam Deck. Just imagine someone uh, playing that on a train and like a passerby looks. 
I'm thinking a very particular murder scene, but I'm not going to say which one for uh, spoilers, but just someone like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> just like uh, yeah. horrific shit. But yeah, I don't know. The Steam Deck, I, I'm the the thing for me, I think this relates is, you know, we're, we're, Chris is talking about like the types of experiences that you wouldn't want to have mobile. Um, I think the other concerning thing is just beyond that and that you can't just put a PC game on a six inch screen or whatever and it's gonna like the ui is gonna be right like some of these games are not designed uh to be played like that so i'm i'm willing to bet that at launch there's gonna be definitely some growing pains where people are like this game's great but the text is like two millimeters tall and i cannot read it on this thing so (laughs) who knows (laughs) yeah oh my god god of war's old text menus on on that screen yeah you'll need like a magnifying glass and we see that already. We see this problem with with ports that come to PC that are kind of half-assed. I remember specifically, it was Kerbal Space Program, I think, that came to PS4, and it was just horrible. Like you, could, It was literally just put onto the PS3 as it was, and you can't play it like that. So, yeah, we'll see how this thing does. I, I do like, as I said last week, I do like Valve's Moxie, and I appreciate them trying to do something new for them. Finally, before we get into what we're playing, Joey wrote in and said, what's your go to beverage when gaming? Do you even have one at all? Is it Pepsi, Coke or water? Something else, presumably, maybe My, mine is water. Dustin, what do you like to drink when you play video games? I I mean, I just drink the same favorites that I always drink, whether it's coffee or I do like uh, a, a Coke or a Pepsi, of course. I don't like to drink beer or alcohol when I drink because I'm I don't drink very much at all nowadays. So if I have one drink, I'm going to be slightly impaired and it means I'm going to play like shit. And I just don't find that I don't find playing video games drunk fun at all. So never not never beer, but I usually avoid that. What about you, uh, Chris? Where where, where are you on the on drinking during your you know drinking anything? During your- yeah, yeah, yeah. Not alcohol. I, I don't drink alcohol I'm for the same reason that Dustin. Like, I, I can't, I can't. It frustrates me. Yeah, after a while, exactly. Like, cause like, unless like it's like the whole point where it's like, hey, let's let's all let's all play uh, like Mario Kart and and make a drinking game out of it. It's like that's hilarious. That's fun. Like, I'll do that. But like, if I'm just by myself and I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'll have like eight shots and, and I'll go into Trials of Osiris and Destiny 2 and get my shit <laughs> pushed in. I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. That's it's so aggravating to be in a state where like you you play this game that you usually play well terribly and you're too impaired to even think properly about like how you should handle the fact that you suck. Like it's Dude, it's not a good it's not a good place to be. Chris one of the first times I raided in Destiny One for Vault we we oh paired up God. with some randos and we could tell that they were drinking and uh by the time we got into like the third or fourth section they were just completely trash you couldn't even hear them and then of course like we could hear one of their kids through the mic that was like daddy and we were like no and so uh, yeah we just bolted out but don't do that to your raid your raid crew yeah 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 don't drink and raid no <laughs> but um i i don't know i, I stick to pretty pretty generic stuff like i'll i'll drink like a smart water or like if i'm feeling like ah, i want some a little bit more refreshment i'll get like a lemonade or like a like a like an arizona iced tea like a lemon how about a whole gallon tea of iced tea, tea? 
Sometimes, on occasion. <laughs> I'm the only one who drinks it here, so I like I have free reign of the gallon, so I don't even have to pour anything. I don't have to dirty a dish. I don't have to like find like a, a solo cup or anything. It's just like, there it goes, it's mine. Fuck you. <laughs> drinking out of the carton is drinking out of the carton, I will say, is like one of the most liberating things that uh, any human being can possibly experience. Dude, that was it's just um, like a, it's great. Carrick, um, when he was doing Duke, he would just have a two liter I don't even know what it was like Walmart brand, some kind of mysterious off brand like Mountain Lightning or something. And he would just drink that straight from the two liter. And I never respected him more than seeing seeing a man do that. Just uh, or, man, or woman. That's a person who knows what they want and they goes and, and they get it. I appreciate that. Sure. Sure. Well, well said. Yeah, I stick with just the water, my smart water, which I just, you know, I refill with just the door water on my fridge a couple times so I don't just throw the bottle right away. But I like having a new crisp bottle of water and and uh, both in this size and in the squeeze bottle size. I, I go through quite a few of those. I drink Pepsi every day with my dinner, but I don't like drinking sugary drinks when I'm not eating. Mm. I feel like it's mm. it's it doesn't work for me, really. Uh, if I'm not eating, I want water. But if I am eating, I don't want water. That's basically Interesting rule of thumb. That's I think I understand that entirely somehow. (laughs) For me, like it's not it's not too complex. Sitting down with a with a a pop, as we would say here in Western PA, a pop. Like last night, I I turned on the Sopranos and I had a a drink and it was like perfect. You know, just the little fizzy. So interesting. That's only while you eat, though. Yeah, I like a Coke or a Pepsi just makes so many things better. Like just washing it down the old gullet like an American. Mm. All right. Let's see here. Let's get into what we're playing. Chris, we'll start with you. You're not playing anything. Are you? So what's going on with you? Are you moving or what what is happening? Well, that's kind of the thing. I'm like uh, setting up everything. The idea is um, August 28th. So the end of August, I will be on my on my way uh, to uh, Nueva York. So, cool, man. That's exciting. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little, you know, nervous. You know, it's a little scary, but just because, sure. like, I've, I don't know, moving across the country, like, all my shit across the country feels daunting. Uh, I know you've done it, uh, although I think it, you it, sold it a lot of your stuff. Yeah, I sold. Uh, yeah, I, I, I probably, sh- I, well, yeah, I got rid of all my furniture and then, and my TVs and stuff like everything. I think the biggest things that I saved were like my GI Joe collection, my my games, and like I just shipped everything on FedEx. I, you might remember, like I would go to FedEx like every couple of days in December with just like a box or two of things and just ship it. Yeah. And I was just shipping all my shit to my mom's, and then uh, so yeah. I, I don't I don't suggest moving like that, but I must say it didn't. If you are a minimalist, because I ship my guitars and stuff like that, so those got shipped, but because I'm seeing your guitar in the background. But if you're somewhat of a minimalist, which I think you kind of are, like if you could shed your TV, your bed, your desk, then the it's OLED. actually not that expensive. I think I probably spent like a thousand dollars. And that's I, it's not that much when you consider. Didn't we talk about this at the time that I was like astounded that you could even do something like that for a thousand dollars? Like how it's yeah, like the Louis yeah. CK thing about <laughs> flying in an airplane and why you shouldn't get mad because it's so extraordinary. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, it's so much money, but I'm like, someone is literally just bringing all of my shit 3,000 miles. It's pretty, pretty crazy. What are you going to do? How are you going to play it? Uh, I, I'm still kind of working the kinks. I, I am a minimalist. I have no problem like shedding most of my stuff. But at the same time, I do have a lot of camera equipment that I just don't mm. feel like reacquiring, you know, like and also it's just like it, it would be a bitch to sell. 
And also, like, I really like this TV. This is, like, my the perfect TV. And I, if I could get it across the country, I, I would. And I, this desk is, like, a really hard-to-find desk as well. So, like, there's, I'm going to have to ship some furniture. So I'm thinking, like, I don't know, I'll get, like, a small... I'll do, like, a, get a, find a moving company to do, like, a small truck fill it with uh, some of the stuff that I absolutely need. I want to keep my wall art because I just like my wall stuff, but I don't know. Uh, just working on it. I think probably I'll have everything sorted out by the end of July so that I can start moving, but I haven't had time to really, like, sit down and really... I've tr I tried to play a little bit of uh, uh, A Plague Tale, but, like, I was just... My mind was just, like... You got to get this thing done. This thing done. I was like, I, I totally, I, I can't yeah, do it. I totally I can't. I, I had to, had to like step myself back because I knew that if I continued, I would not absorb anything. So haven't played anything really this week. Yeah, I totally understand that. I remember in November, December of 2019, we were doing this show for over a year at that point, and uh, I was moving. And yeah, you people know it's so all consuming. Now that I own a house. As I've been saying for a year, and I, I know Dustin knows this, and you'll know this soon, Chris, is <laughs> it's like just like a quarter of your mind at all times. Like just it's just constant things to do. I, I don't understand it, but yeah, Dustin, what the hell are you playing for me? Um, well, Colin, you wrote this, so I wrote it as well, but I don't know. Is this embargoed? I think we can say we're playing it, but not our impressions. Yeah. So we're playing Trigger Witch now. This is a twin stick shooter from our friends at Rainbite who did a, a wonderful Zelda game like game called Reverie, which I highly recommend. I played it on Vita. You can play it wherever you want. But this is their new game there. Um, they're Australian, right? Or are they New Zealand? They're from New Zealand, I think. And John Opeck, a friend of ours, is who wrote the game and uh, really did a, a nice job with the dialogue. It's so charming and stuff. But I don't know what we can say about it. I, I have no problem saying it. I don't think they would mind. Well, we have to say two things. These are our friends, so they did send us codes and we accepted them. I would not have solicited them. East Asia Soft, who actually I've worked with and I like a lot, are, is their publisher, but we have no PR contact. So they emailed me themselves with the codes. I'm totally comfortable with that. But yeah, apart from that, I don't know what we're allowed to say, but I don't think they'll mind us saying I, I think it's, it's great and yes. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm trying to not play it too quickly because they make smaller titles and you can I would love a game like this to be 20 hours long, but I don't think it is. You know, Reverie was a few hours, basically. Right. Or five hours or something. This game had me um, smiling quite a bit. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Definitely. Uh, I'm still playing through Plague Tale just kind of slowly. It's one of those games that I don't want to play for like over an hour at a time just because you're doing the same thing over and over throughout this game. You're either hiding and trying to get through enemies or you're trying to get through hordes of rats. It's one of the two, sometimes both, which the both sections are awesome, but I'm still still enjoying it. And then I'm playing through Demon Souls, Demon's Souls again on my Twitch channel because it is I have two games from the from software. Well, the the souls from software lineage that I have not played on stream. Demon Souls being one of them, the other one being Bloodborne. So I'm having a good time going back to that. Just it's um a really really solid remake i was just thinking when i was playing i'm like man this game looks so good blue point just did such a good job such strong attention to detail from the original as well and i'm just glad that sony that they're you know i don't want to sound hypocritical because i i don't like the whole consolidation of the industry we're going to get into some of that in a little bit with sumo but 
I think that partnerships that make sense are good. Like Blue Point, they've been pretty much exclusively working with Sony for a while now. So I'm glad that they can take them under their wing and do more awesome projects like Demon Souls. So it's very good. I recommend checking it out. It's been on sale a few times actually since launch. I think it's gone down to either 45 or 50 a few times. So cool, man. Yeah. I, otherwise, I've not been messing around too much. I, I've been playing World of Final Fantasy just a little bit because I had it on Vita. I played it when it came out in 2016, just a little. Game is very weird. I'm trying to understand it better. I, I It's been on my mind where I'm like, I want to get this game a little bit more. I feel like it's one of those Final Fantasy spinoffs I just don't quite comprehend. And it's like, you know, like, what was that? Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon and all this random oh. shit that used to come out. It's like one of those games where I don't quite get it and I'm trying to get it more. So just spending a few hours with it on my Vita here and there. And it is kind of like Pokemon. It's kind of like Pokemon meets Disgaea in a way because you're like getting creatures. So that's like Pokemon. But then you're stacking creatures on top of each other to make like these pillars. So that's like Disgaea. And then you use them in battle. I don't know. I don't know what, what to think of it. I'm just I'm, I'm in this space right now because I, I downloaded Metro Exodus and I was going to begin that. Then I got the trigger witch code. So I started that. But I'm in this space right now where I'm kind of just hungry for something that I and I don't know what it is. Someone actually wrote in. We didn't use the letter, but remember Zombies Ate My Neighbors and its sequel. They were supposed to come out already on PS4 and PS5, but they haven't. They've come out on Xbox and Switch and PC, but they're not out. I was kind of looking forward to that. That never materialized. I don't know what's going on there. And then uh, I was thinking about some other titles like from the past that I, I might want to have played, like maybe a Tales game or something. I think Tales of Arise is the next game that's going to really capture me and the prelude to that might be Hades which comes a couple weeks before to PlayStation 4 and I'll finally play it there so that's basically all I'm messing with but I wanted to throw in this inquiry from William Outlaw on Patreon he says hey guys I've been playing Plague Tale recently and noticed that it has incredibly well implemented PS5 features the dual sense feels great uh, Dustin you talked about that last week but I was pleasantly surprised by the game help instructions and videos for collectibles I totally forgot that this was a thing at all but once I tried it, it was actually way more helpful than picking up my phone and looking it up. Now, over six months in, what third party game has the best PS5 implementation of DualSense, Game Helper, Loading, etc.? I wanted to throw this in because I don't feel like I've played any third party game that does this very well. Each one that I play goes there a little bit, but not all the way. And the only games that I have used the Game Help videos on, and they were very good, was Astro and then Ratchet, actually, to get some of the gold bolts. And I feel like this needs to be I don't want to say needs to be because you don't want to put barriers in front of developers, but Sony should kind of slip into certification something about like you have to do something with these. It's the same thing when Sony. I don't know if you guys probably want to remember this, but Sony turned on trophies in mid 2008 and still many developers were like, eh. And so what they did was like, if you release your game after January 1st, 2009, it has to have trophies. And that just forced everyone to do it and adopt them. So. Maybe they have to do a similar thing here where it's like, can you do can you do something? Can you have some counters? Can you have some game help videos? And I know, for instance, that and I think this is awesome. Tom Happ, who's making Axiom Verge and made Axiom Verge is making Axiom Verge 2, says the reason the PS5 version is going to come later than the PS4 version is because he wants to fully utilize the game help features. And that's the first time I've ever heard anyone outside of first party or second party say that. Dustin, does anything come to mind for you from your third party experiences in in this because I actually I have to give it up to them like it is good and it is easier like when I was looking up a gold bolt I'm like this is way better than going to power picks I or going to Brian or something I love those guys but 
it is easier. And, and I don't understand why people aren't using it, especially on these massive teams that could certainly have their intern do this. Right. Yeah. I'm glad he mentioned that because I actually did use the game help one time for uh, Plague Tale. And I couldn't believe that it clearly laid out the thing that I was confused how to do. I was like, oh, this is how this is supposed to work, uh, as opposed to Risen Evil where uh, the game help is there, but it is not really that helpful. It'll have like a few points for each level, and it's just really not that great at all. As far as other implementations of DualSense, I'm trying to, I'm honestly trying to think. Like I'm, I played Hitman, and it was like, okay, Resident Evil's guns felt kind of bad, in my opinion, with the haptic triggers, but... I guess, I mean, I'm not surprised, though, that this early on, the best implementations are from Sony first party. I'd be curious Mm -hmm. to hear about some of the third party games. For example, uh, Call of Duty Cold War. I didn't I played that on PC, so I don't I don't know what the what the uh, haptics were like. I know that they said that, like, each gun feels different. But, you know, who knows? That's just marketing. Yeah, you played, I actually right? dabbled a little. Yeah, I dabbled a little bit with uh, the PS5 version of of Cold War, and I, you know, it's it's definitely there. I don't think it's anything particularly special, but I also think the adaptive triggers in general, like, are kind of like, I think the haptic feedback, like the 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 you know, oh, I can feel the sand and I can feel the stone and I can feel the brick on on Dual Sense when I'm walking across some landscape in Astro's playroom. I think like the haptics are the thing that's most impressive to me about the dual sense and I think the most objectively well utilized regardless. Like e- even if you have a, a a game that doesn't utilize it well, it's not it's never utilized in a way that's distractingly ter- like terrible. But like when I think about Godfall and its horrific use of the adaptive triggers to the point where like the game felt like broken like busted in like a real you know like a real way that I don't think I've ever I sincerely don't think I've ever felt like a game was more broken just by the way that a game was using controller features like it's it's inconceivable to me how they managed to mess up something so simple like swinging a sword and how broken it feels but the adaptive triggers, I think, are just harder to program also. Like, because I was, I remember I was playing Cold War and I was like, yeah, I mean, the controller is resisting me, but I, I don't, I don't know if I really want that when I'm firing a gun. You know, like, I don't want to make shooting a gun harder than it already, than it needs to be, it, especially in like a competitive environment. Like, there's no way people are like in multiplayer with active adaptive triggers like there's just no way that they're doing that because it's just there's no reason to do that it's just actively putting you at a disadvantage so like i don't know i I just i just wanted to mention godfall as something that just completely did not utilize the dual sense well at all like it's the worst implementation of dual sense technology that i've that i've seen like without a shadow of a doubt it's funny because godfall must come up every so often and haunt the hallowed halls of this particular podcast as it as it sometimes does but the the interesting thing about haptics is and and kind of the new rumble features and i don't know if you guys have noticed this is when a game seems to not have programmed into it i mean i I experienced this with scarlet nexus for instance 
when a game seems to just be dragged over to the PS5 and not really recoded in any meaningful way, the haptics, I don't know if you'd notice this, but when you get old style rumble in a new game on the controller, it kind of just turns over the motor and it sounds like a piece of plastic just falling inside the uh, inside the, the controller. I don't know if I'm explaining that well. Do you guys know what I'm talking about where mm-hmm. it's not the same rumble, like it's not the same feature set. People need to figure out a different way to make it work. And, and this these are early days. It reminds me of early days of of rumble on N64 and really more on PS1 and PS2 when it was just force. Remember, it was called force feedback because they originally because it wasn't called rumble, really, because it was supposed to be for like you're supposed to be shaking. And it was like a one note kind of thing. And then they realized, well, it could actually be used in many under many other ways other than just making your hands fucking fall asleep. Like, you know, Donkey Kong 64 or whatever game, you know, just wouldn't stop shaking (laughs) the goddamn controller. So. I feel like we're going to figure out a, a similar way, path forward with really clever uses. And the good news, unlike those early rumble uses, is that the precedent has been set by a couple of games that are doing it really nicely. And Chris and I, I, I totally understand Chris's contention of co- competitive gameplay and all that. But I love the adaptive triggers. Like, I think I think it's super cool, but I understand I don't play competitive games. So I understand that that would be a feature very i mean i wouldn't i would probably play with a mouse and keyboard probably even if i were competitive so clearly that's not what's important to me so we just have to figure out yeah um a way forward with all this but it's it's interesting as far as the game help stuff though i want to see that included more and i hope that it is because it has been authentically useful for me i was skeptical of it i mean it's so grainy and low res and shit it's comical how low res it is i don't know why it has to be so low res when you use it but but it does work and it does show you exactly what you need to see. And it's smart. Like it knows if you've collected one of the gold bolts, it won't show you that help anymore. It's it's cool. So check it out if you're playing Ratchet still. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, guys, let's get into the news now. Dustin, as I sometimes do, I'm going to have to tell you to put like something here. This is a political conversation. I don't think it's a partisan conversation, but it is a political conversation. I know some of you want to avoid it, but I really hope you don't because 
I'm going to tie this into what we were talking about with Activision and Ubisoft earlier in the show and about how burying our heads in the sand as gamers, players, consumers, enthusiasts, whatever, is just a huge mistake. So here's the story. Number one, Chinese mega corporation Tencent has struck again, purchasing another large gaming entity. And this one is perhaps closest in proximity to PlayStation. According to multiple sources, Tencent is slated to purchase British company Sumo Digital for $1.3 billion. The price is outrageous. It's 43% above the company's trading price on the market and cracks the company open to the Chinese conglomerate, which already owns nearly 10% of the company. The deal will be conducted entirely in cash, and though freshly minted millionaires many, many times over, Sumo's founders and C-suite executives are slated to stay in place. Carl Cavers, who is the CEO of Sumo, said in a mystifying statement in part, quote, The opportunity to work with Tencent is one we just couldn't miss. It would bring another dimension to Sumo, presenting opportunities for us to truly stamp our mark on this amazing industry in ways which have been previously out of reach. Tencent has a strong track record for backing management teams and their existing strategies. Alongside the acceleration of own IP work, Tencent has demonstrated its commitment to backing our client work and has stated its intention to ensure that we have the necessary investment to continue focusing on work with our key strategic partners on turnkey and co-development projects, end quote. In other words, Sumo will continue making its own games and working on behalf of others, too, and PlayStation is their biggest client by a mile. This, for the first time, brings Sony into an intimate relationship with a partner that has maximally shady foreign ownership, in this case in the form of Tencent, which is widely acknowledged to be an organ of the ruling Communist Party of China. Tencent's holdings in the gaming industry are growing at an alarming rate. Remember, Tencent owns 100% of Riot Games, the creators of League of Legends. They own most of Supercell, one of the biggest mobile game companies in the world. They own 40% of Epic, about a quarter of Don't Not, a fifth of Marvelous, 5% each in Ubisoft, Activision, Remedy, and Paradox. They control a majority of companies in, like Clay and Jaeger. They have unknown holdings with Roblox and Platinum and even have their hands in Discord. They have never voluntarily divested from a gaming entity they've put money into and tend to gobble up companies slowly, which they did with Sumo. Sumo Digital, founded about two decades ago, was at one time best known for its work with Sega, particularly with the Virtua Tennis, OutRun, and later Sonic series, amongst others. They leaned into Sony from the beginning, too, and were responsible for 2014's Little Big Planet 3 on PS3 and PS4, and Sackboy, a big adventure on PS4 and PS5. Cody Smith wrote in and said, Hello, podcast buds. Tencent buying Sumo Digital Limited is yet another distressing example of Chinese conglomerates eating their way into the video game industry. I know this topic has been discussed a lot on this podcast lately, but I think we all know it's very important. Here's my question. Do video game companies have an almost moral imperative not to sell themselves to Chinese companies or companies tied to other problematic countries or regions? I know Colin is a self-described capitalist, and I am one as well, but this is a very chilling trend that could easily threaten video gaming as a whole, not to mention everything else. Thank you for continuing to discuss this both on the podcast and on social media. Much love. Thank you for writing in, Cody. We appreciate it. Dustin, what do you make of this situation? So, Colin, maybe you can answer this. I don't know. In a situation like this, he he asks, is it is it a moral imperative not to sell to China? When you're presented with an offer from someone to buy your company for what was it, 43% above the market value? Is this this something that comes into the fiduciary duty to your stockholders to like instantly sell? I mean, I don't know how that works. I just don't know. It's a a totally valid question. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sucks um, that that would be the case. I don't know. Since Sumo Digital is a British company, their laws may be different. This is like definitely a question for Rick Hogue. He would definitely know the answer to that. But let's so let's just pretend that that's not a possibility. Man, it's 
it's I'm sure that like there's a it's a very difficult thing. I don't I, I don't think we can just say like it's easy to say no to you and ev- all of the other management at the company to become insanely rich instantly. Like that is a desirable thing to say yes to. So like, I don't envy that choice, but at the same time, there is something to be said about the more, the moral aspects of it. We've talked about like C- the CCP has known concentration camps like a few months ago, there was a story about wigs that were exported from China that were human hair. Like this isn't just like, uh, oh, rumors about concentration camps or rumors of um, humanitarian crisis, crises happen, whatever the word is. This is like legit fact based things that are happening. So it's like mm-hmm. you have to take that into consideration. Um strongly i mean to me i guess when you think about it it's like that probably should be like is it worth becoming a multi you and all your friends becoming multi-millionaires at the fact that you will be run by a company that is strongly connected to a government that is committing genocide that should i guess now that i see when you say it like that probably should be a non-starter yeah i i I agree before i say what i need to say chris i'm I'm curious to bring you into this uh, and just get what your take is i I think it's relevant and I, I wanted to bring this up to see how you feel about it. But what your favorite developer, Bungie, is also owned by a Chinese mm-hmm. company, isn't it? And they I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I think they received like, I think, a hundred million dollars from not Tencent. Right. It was something. It was another one. Yeah, it was, a, di- it was a different it company, might- I think. And yeah, could, it, there's there. There are on. two Chinese companies that like. Yeah, NetEase is the company, which which, which is NetEase, which is not, I don't think, as well. They're not as big. I mean, they're a fraction as large uh, as Tencent, but they're also not really known to be so active in communist circles in China as well. So it's it's a little different. But I did want to ask you about that if that has come into play for you or your community at all over on Destiny, because I know it was a little bit controversial, but they don't really seem to. They're not the same. NetEase is not the same as Tencent. Yeah, it's. I. I don't think they play. Th- I. I've. I haven't seen it mentioned that much in. Uh, in that community. I, I. think when it first happened, there was like talk about it, but I, I don't know. I think you know. You know how the. <laughs> you know how things move like a mile a minute, and people just kind of forget, and like, oh, here's a new thing. Here's a new thing. Every minute of every day, there's a new story, to kind of distract. I. I. But, as far as the question here, about like. Do two video game companies have a moral imperative not to sell to China? No. A company has a the a company's only imperative is to make money. That's like literally the point of a company. So when you have the option to make millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars overnight, yeah, you take that because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what a company is supposed to do is make that money if we governed everything based on morals we'd have a completely different system head to toe here like the reason why we can't uh and not to get too political here um i think i'm getting as political as i think i need to be to make the case but like you know the money argument always gets brought up about healthcare. like that's a pretty frequent thing it's like oh well helping our fellow man costs too much so we won't do it even though it's 
kind of morally reasonable that you would say, yeah, we should help each other in a base way. That's not how that works because money is important. And as far as that goes, like, I just, I think that's just how the world works now. Like, it's just how it's always worked, at least over here in the West. You know, money talks, people listen. And if that money happens to come from a place with like abhorrent morals and abhorrent, you know, <laughs> you know, practices that defy our cultural norms and our and our basic morality, then eh, I'll take my money and wash my hands of it and then I can be free of it. And then whatever. It's it's depressing, but this is just the way things are going. And I think it's I don't think it's really going to stop. I think it's going to keep accelerating. I wonder, I, I have a lot to say about this. I don't know how much I want to be able to get out here, but I wonder to what extent Tencent's interference in global gaming markets would have to reach for someone to be like, we can't in Washington yeah. or in London or whatever, be like, we have to do something about this. The only reason I say that is because as we discussed last week or a few weeks ago, maybe Huawei, which is another Chinese mega conglomeration with CCP connections, like is not allowed to work in the, like is not allowed to do its thing in, in the United States at all. Uh, in terms of like what it wants to do with 5G and all of those things, because we don't trust them. We don't believe that they're not an organ of the Chinese communist government and and all of that. Now, these are these are lesser deals, but and people have been saying this to me, too. And I guess I shouldn't have said it on the show where I kind of flipped and was like, yeah, if someone offered me enough money from Tencent, I would sell. You know what? No, I wouldn't. And the reason I say this is is for two reasons. Number one, if there's interest in from Tencent in whatever I own, then there's interest from someone else, too. Yeah. And the second thing is, is that I think that there is I, I and I disagree with you guys, I think, on this. I think there is a moral imperative at this point that is extra economical, that doesn't fit within the confines of free marketeerism. But I'm not really a free market person anyway. I mean, I I'm always told that I'm a libertarian, but I haven't called myself one in many years. And I believe in protectionism and all this kind of stuff. So, of course, I'm going to believe in in trying to remove ourselves from a uneven and un and really unfair political situation with a government that not only mistreats its own people and that's one whole huge part of it but also undercuts its own currency and manipulates markets to get better deals and just does really heinous shit they're a fucking complete menace to their neighbors and to their local geopolitical area in the world and all of the rest mm -hmm. the chinese government is malevolent and evil. And if people need to hear that, then that's what they need to hear. Doesn't mean China's evil. Doesn't mean Chinese people are evil or Chinese culture is evil. None of those things are true. Of course, that's not true. But we're talking about a communist dictatorship with 1.2 or 1.3 billion people within its boundaries. And Tencent, I was reading about this, so about one in 12 people in China are dues paying in quotes members of the Chinese Communist Party. So they have about almost 100 million members. So that's something like, I don't know, seven or eight percent of people. Tencent, their employees are members of the Chinese Communist Party three times more per capita, almost 25 percent and have known tendrils to the CCP. And the reason that this matters is not only because of the CCC, the CCP's malevolence and evil non-voting dynastic shit that they have going on with their communist well non-dynastic communist dictatorship and all the concentration camps with the Uyghurs and all that all of that aside 
which is a huge thing to put aside. This is a company that is openly tethered to a communist dictatorship. And everything you do is going to be tied to that communist dictatorship. And if you are owned by a company that has 10 cents money, then you are complicit in the things they are doing. We can't live, as I've said many times, a moralistic economic life. But there comes times when big times when big choices need to be made. And someone needs to stand up and say, like, no, we won't sell because it's scary for, for us to be involved with them. I, I brought up this quote again from the CEO, Carl Cavers. The opportunity to work with Tencent is one we just couldn't miss. Who the fuck has well, ever you, you said know what that? He's saying when he says that. What'd you say? <laughs> no, I said, you know what he's saying when he says that. He's like, the opportunity to work with a uh, billion dollars right. is something that we could not miss. No, that's exactly what he means. But <laughs> but he's not, they're not, no, see, none of them can be honest. It's like what I always say about that website GameBite or whatever that's owned by Tencent, where it's like, you'll never see anything honest on that yeah. site because about what's going on there because they can't say it. And you know what? The second I see one of these companies release something that calls, you know, Taiwan a free country or Hong Kong free or something about the Uyghurs when any of these companies that I, I rattled off do something like that then I'll think that then I'll recant everything I've said about Tencent I will but it's not going to happen and there's a there's a there's a chilling effect when you let in entities into creative fields like this and money isn't more important than the creativity Sumo Digital was a lucrative and is a lucrative and successful company that could have had other people courting it including Sony itself so I don't want to hear this idea that like they couldn't have held on and gotten a better deal. The opportunity to work with Tencent is one we just couldn't miss. Well, I, ho- I hope you enjoy signing, getting those checks signed by the communists in China and all that comes along with it. And you can ask the guys over at Arc System Works how that worked out for Guilty Gear Strive when they had to fucking secretly patch out every mention of Taiwan and Hong Kong and Uyghurs in their lore. And they don't even get they're not even owned by them. They just want to do business there. Can you fucking imagine when your parent company is Chinese? The kind of pressure you have to be on under this. It's the same thing with SNK selling itself with the intent of selling the entire company to the royal family in Saudi Arabia. It's not acceptable. We don't want entities like this in gaming. They're totalitarians. They're evil. They're not elected. They murder and disappear people. They keep their people with their boots on their necks. The Chinese communists wouldn't be in charge if there was an election in China. I can guarantee you that. So it's not a partisan issue. It's not left or right or Democrat or Republican or, you know, labor or Tory or whatever. It's nothing like that. Open your fucking eyes to what is happening here and the decisions that have to be made. And and the reason, Chris, that I'm so disappointed in this, because Dustin had brought up the fiduciary uh, fiduciary obligation, which is true. And also you had brought up like it's just the way it works unfortunately. And my whole thing is like, I was hoping that we would start having conversations as a society soon about how do we uncouple ourselves from China? How do we uncouple ourselves from this cheap labor that drives down blue collar work in the United States and puts people on welfare and puts them out of jobs? How do we get rid of that? But now we've put like seven more barriers in front of us. We're never going to get to answer that question because now we're talking about companies like Tencent buying Crytek and their military ops, right? Or we're talking about Uh, the Saudi royal family buying SNK months after they disappeared a fucking Saudi dissident journalist and everyone knows they did it. 
at some point the moral the morals do play in and so you know what no i wouldn't sell and you can hold me to that if that's ever presented to me yeah it's infuriating that this is happening yeah and i i think i mean you know not to get too much we we could segue out of this after this but you know i i think you're right where i think uh we've kind of let this go on for too long to the point where now it's like it's inconceivable that we would be able to like easily uncouple because it's not even it, it, this by the way i think the reason why this isn't getting a lot of attention is just because of the things that are happening it is of the least importance to most people it's like oh big deal they bought a game company whereas like i think the big conversation happening or at least the way that i in in the circles that i you know orbit is there's a big conversation about like hey the chinese government's buying like a lot of u.s real estate what's that about you know like that's 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 a whole nother fucking thing that seems a little bit more immediately important than oh they bought it oh what are they gonna do like i feel like most people still think like oh what are they gonna do make a chinese game who cares you know i feel like that's the attitude still for a, a lot of people because a lot of people outside of the industry don't really take games super seriously dis- even though they make a ton of money you know it's still kind of this inexplicably niche thing to a lot of people <laughs> even though you know the last of us gets like what 10 million dollars an episode on hbo it's kind of crazy but i think there's just a lot of other conversations about china and the u.s and our dependence on them that i think and just like you know the the way that they've egregiously pollute and like there's there's so much else to that conversation that even this specific conversation in the games industry as important as it is to us to most people doesn't even register as something even worth paying attention to because it's just they're making a video game what's a video game who cares right i think you're totally right on this and yeah dustin i'm curious to get your closing thoughts as well because i don't know how else to make to try to make people open their eyes. I'm so glad you brought up the real estate thing too, Chris. I mean, the United States government is concerned about certain things and we had brought up Huawei before, but they're looking to stop Chinese, China and Chinese interest from buying up farmland in the United States, which they've been doing at a rapid rate as well. And the government is getting involved in that. And I'll say it again, and this is a political statement, but it just, it just is letting China into the World Trade Organization years ago and normalizing relations with them was a fucking massive mistake and has created, you know, a huge situation, like Chris said, of multi-tendril. You can't do business with certain entities, right? Like, you just can't, you can't hold your hand out. Like, with the Soviet Union during the Cold War, like, we weren't really doing business with them. We dealt with them and, but they were on their own and we were on our own and we all had our spheres of influence and we thought we would be really clever and really cute by allowing a company or a country that, like Chris said, pollutes and doesn't pay its labor and just kills people and has one child policy and all this crazy fascistic shit going on over there. No elections, all of that. And and we're just we just we're so far beyond the pale now that it's true. Gaming almost looks like, well, what do you what are you supposed to do about this? But to me, I, I look at it. and I'm like, well, why can't we be loud in our sphere to say, like, we don't want this and we should be. So what I wanted to say about Activision and Ubisoft that it's before and, and I'm, I'm going to tie this in now is it is time for people to start making decisions about on individual levels about how much you want to interact with these companies or not. And I don't I'm not going to be able to 
live a moralistic life like that. Like I know that. And I've said that a million times, but it's the big decisions and the way they trickle down to make the choices easier for people that don't necessarily want to make them that matter the most. So if you give us an option to buy a PS5 not made in China, then maybe you would see that people would buy it. Or if you made an iPhone not in China, maybe people would buy it, you know, and and maybe they would be willing to support it and maybe they would be willing to pay more or do this or do that to uncouple ourselves. But we are so we've added so much to the pile that now the really important stuff is littered and covered over by Tencent buying Sumo Digital. And yet that in and of itself is nefarious and we shouldn't accept that as just something that just happens without at least us saying something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The The only thing just left that I'll add is that, and this is political in a way that it's clear to me we're in a, a cold war with China at this point. It's just not like the last cold war that was with Russia. It's, it's being played on a completely different playing board. And you guys mentioned like the buying up of farmland and, I'm sure that there are uh, many different fronts to this and the controlling of American entertainment is one of them. You can just look, I mean, it's, it's not even, it's weird because saying it out loud slightly feels like a conspiracy, but it's like, yeah. it's clearly not like we talked about the John Cena video where like from a few weeks ago and it's like apologizing in Mandarin, right? It's what like an embarrassment. What a fucking and, embarrassment. I'm sorry. What an embarrassment. Yeah. So, you know, and it, it sucks just because um, the West, in particular the United States, is basically at war with itself over, you know, when you think about the, the grand scheme of things, so many like stupid little things. Um, and so I guess not all stupid little things, but we're such at war in, in partisan politics that it's like, yeah, China can come in and start buying all this shit up and no one cares because all people care about is whether you're fighting the Democrats are fighting the Republicans in the right way and making sure you say yeah. the right things on Twitter. And even that doesn't just apply to the citizens, but also the people uh, in power. So it sucks. You know, it's it. I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is we can bring as much light as we can in the gaming space. And I'm glad that we have the platform to do that. Um, the scary part is that it's much, much bigger than just our medium and it's something that people should consider Indeed. yeah and I, i'm sure that people think uh, i'm sure there are some people who think we're overreacting but i just i want to bring this up every time we every time we talk about china like i, I want to i like to bring this up because i think it's a perfect example activision put out a trailer for call of duty cold war that had tiananmen square footage in it and because they receive money from china they had to take it down, edit the Tiananmen Square footage out, and repost it. This is not like conspiracy. This is not like hypothetical. This is not like, oh, what if China, blah, blah, blah. This is real. So, like, take that as you will. But I feel like that's a small example of something that is, if they're willing to do that publicly, then, like, you know. Right. And you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And remember, unlike... And we said it earlier, but unlike Activision, where there's money to interest there, companies like Arc System and others are starting to make moves just in anticipation of being asked to do it. Mm -hmm. Because they know when Guilty Gear Strive comes out in mainland China, someone's going to stumble upon that. And they're going to get in a lot of trouble because 
to them, it is Tiananmen Square. What is that? Wait, Tibet is an independent nation. Who are the Uyghurs? Oh, your social media score is going to go down now and we might disappear your family. By the way, don't have more than one or two kids if you know what's good for you and enjoy your $5,000 a year from the government to keep you quiet. You know, it's it is glaring and scary. And if this podcast opens people's eyes up to the fact that there is a cult, like like Dustin said, a cold war going on and that there is a an entertainment front on it, unlike the last time when the Soviets had no power, they had no money, they had no clout. In fact, the Soviet Union disintegrating fucked up communism almost all around the world, except for in China, because they were they were powerful enough because, you know, the Soviet Union had a bunch of client states too. I mean, look at Cuba. We were talking about. So and the same thing happened with Venezuela, propping Cuba up as well. This is a Western problem, whether you're in Europe or in Canada or in Latin America or in um, parts of Asia or in Australia and all of the rest. Pay attention. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Please, please wake up. Please. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, let's move on to number two. Is PlayStation in the midst of collaborating with Netflix? If a recent report published just after last week's episode is any indication, the answer is maybe. Here's the rub. Website Video Game Chronicle relayed word that data miner Steve Moser scraped some interesting stuff off of Netflix recently, all pointing towards gaming features. We know that Netflix is getting into gaming, and in fact, they're openly talking about these prospects, having testing the waters over the last couple of years with interactive games like Bandersnatch. Among the images scrapped, uh, scraped from Netflix, however, are two important ones. One shows Jin Sakai from Sucker Punch's Ghost of Tsushima, a PlayStation exclusive, and the other shows an image of a couple of DualSense controllers, the PS5's controller. That's all we know right now, but there's no denying that these images came from Netflix's own servers and are definitive in their content, Jin and PS5 controllers. What's it all mean, if anything, remains to be seen, but this news came on the back of a report from economic website CNBC that Netflix will indeed be getting into games beginning with smaller mobile-style titles and working their way up from there. So whether they're being coy or not remains to be seen, but it doesn't necessarily uh, sound like these images indicate the PlayStation partnership some would hope for. And such a partnership would be a major boon for Sony, as Netflix's user base is currently sitting at 209 million subscribers, and they are the holders of some of the most sophisticated streaming technologies in the world, which would certainly be manipulated and leveraged into core gaming. So... James wrote into us on Patreon about this. He says, what's up, best LSM trio? I wanted to ask you guys thoughts on the rumors and data miners information surrounding Netflix and PlayStation. After Netflix announced their new gaming push, data mined images show Sony first party assets like Ghost of Tsushima and Netflix themed images of the DualSense. Could this be Sony's primary answer to Game Pass? Sony and Netflix have already made deals for movie exclusivity, so the companies have already been working together. Netflix would gain the use of the arguably best next-gen controller without having to design their own and strong uh, their own gaming IP, most likely the same game Sony intends for PC ports. Alternatively, Sony can maybe roll out a Netflix subscription into PS Plus and finally have an answer to Game Pass by teaming up streaming uh, for games and all the rest. All right, so thank you, James, for writing in. 
I am more convinced by this than a lot of people are, Dustin. I'm curious what you make of this. Jaffe, when I was on his show, and I'll, I'll bring it up in a minute, had an interesting counter argument. But I actually think there might be something to this. I'm curious if you agree. Well, the the evidence is a bit puzzling to me in the fact that. So PlayStation does have their own streaming service with PlayStation Now. So that's something to consider. And that the other thing is that Ghost of Tsushima was selected as one of the images, which to me, in a hypothetical situation where let's say it's a partnership with Netflix. So maybe you have a Netflix subscription and you have access to streaming certain PlayStation games or something. Ghost of Tsushima you know, right now, wouldn't they want to be pointing people to playing that on PlayStation hardware with the director's cut? You wouldn't want to mix up the messaging too much on that. But that is what we're presented with in front of us. So as far as it being an answer to Game Pass, I, I don't know. This is it, I honestly I, I mean, I'm sure you guys can tell by listening to me, but it's like. All of the pieces here don't really add up to me. I don't know what the strategy could possibly be that would make sense. I mean, obviously, Netflix, great streaming technology, PlayStation, great creators of games. But again, like I said, they have that conflict. They already have a game streaming service that uh, is not very good. So, I mean, maybe that could be the ding, thing ding, PlayStation ding. Now. <laughs> yeah, maybe it could fuse with PlayStation Now um, in some way, but... It'd be complicated, but I guess they could, you know, if, if this is the answer to Game Pass, then yeah, it would be complicated and be something that would take months to pull off. I got to say that I don't find this conflict as compelling as others do, because Sony would light PlayStation now on fucking fire if they could get <laughs> involved with Netflix and their technology instead. So that to me means nothing, right? Like. Because Netflix Netflix's streaming technology is so much more sophisticated than whatever Sony's doing that they'd probably be like, fine, I don't give a fuck what we, we invested in this. Like, we're, we're going to have Netflix is like the gold standard of streaming technology. So, yeah, Chris, what do you have to say about it? Well, I, I, I agree, but I also wonder, like, is their streaming technology so good that it could handle something that is purely interactive? Like, Bandersnatch was an interactive TV show, but it was still very minimally interactive. Like we don't really know. Like it, it's hard to really gauge what the latency on Netflix is because there's nothing to really consider. You know, like is Netflix more equipped to stream games than PlayStation Now is? I feel like the answer is probably no. You know, because it's not built for that. It's built for a very specific purpose and, and has been built for that purpose and probably honed in and tuned specifically for that purpose, which is why it is the gold standard of streaming, you know, passive entertainment. But there has to be a difference between the way that Netflix handles latency and the way and the way that ne and Hulu handles, you know, streaming and the way xCloud or PS now do it just purely based on the dependency on interaction and, you know, interactivity like the I, I, I don't think they would set PS now on fire, especially because they have, you know, they don't have a lot of subscribers on there, but they do have like a decent chunk who would, I think, feel a little burned if they just kind of got swept away without being like kind of grandfathered into whatever the hell they're trying to pull with this Netflix thing, if anything is even happening this honestly seems to me like 
I'm with Dustin where like none of this adds up to me and I feel like it's almost like somebody was putting together a pitch meeting it's like uh, uh, this is a big game and uh, here's a controller like and they, they were like making like a PowerPoint or something that to me is the only way that this could make sense because I don't understand like why Sony would mix the messaging up with their especially with them going to PC as well like so you got you got PC and then you've got like like Netflix but you've also got PS Now and like one streaming and downloading one's only streaming and it's a partnership with Netflix and then one's downloadable on PC. It just seems like it just seems like so such a mess to navigate as far as like the messaging goes that I can't imagine that they would. I I can't imagine that this means much of anything like I'm it's so it's such a confusing array of variables to consider. Yeah, you know? I, I find I mean, I find your answers, both of you compelling, but I can't say I agree. I, I I think this would be such a megalithic partnership, just hypothetically. I'm not I'm not talking about anything that may or may not be happening. But imagine if Netflix has been working on something for games for a while, which they probably haven't. Mm-hmm. Sony has some sort of relationship with them and they get together and they're like, well, what if Netflix acts as the technology or something to leverage your games into like what if Netflix gaming is powered by PlayStation even in the reverse like what if we have we're street we're the streaming solution for your games you have now 210 million subscribers so that Xbox game pass number sounds fucking comical at that point and you just jump ahead and you have the biggest partner with global reach now, the numbers for Netflix aren't all great. They actually lost almost half a million subscribers. I don't know if you saw that in the United States and Canada last quarter, but they're up globally. So I look at this and I say this would be sophisticated because you're right. Like it would have to deal with all of these different angles. But this is like what massive partnerships look like. And I we're, we're just hypo- it's just all hypothetical based on uploaded images. But I'm compelled by those images for two reasons. Number one, some people have brought up, well, Ghost of Tsushima is getting a film, and that's true. So that could be like a reference to that. But I'm like, no, because Ghost of Tsushima's film is is a theatrical release through Sony Pictures. That has nothing to do with Netflix. So that, I think, is a reference to a game. I don't think it's a reference to a movie. And the second thing is, is like pictures of DualSense. That's that's just why? Why? I, 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 so it could be as simple as like, and, and this is what David Jaffe said, and I think this is also interesting. He's like, well, and it's true. We've all pitched things like this or seen it in pitch meetings where it's like, I'm pitching a game that's like Zelda and this. So here's literally a picture of Zelda and here's like literally a picture of this. And I know like when Sunset Overdrive was pitched to Microsoft, they were pitching it with like punk music and all sorts of shit just stitched together. And this could be it. This could this could be someone saying like, here's a Ghost of Tsushima image and here's a dual a, a video game controller and all that. But why would you upload it to Netflix? Why wouldn't that just be on your deck when you're presenting it in a boardroom? So I think that there's yeah. just interesting pieces here. Where I'm like, I don't know that there's nothing here. I, I actually think that there might be. And I think Sony's been awfully quiet about a lot recently. I think they have a lot to say. And it's conceivable that maybe I mean, could you imagine if they were like, we're partnering, we're partners with Netflix. It doesn't mean that Netflix isn't available everywhere still. It's just saying like we're, they're getting yeah, into yeah. gaming and we're going to be a big part of that. And I think that's a huge win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be interesting if that if that was true. I just like I feel like this is just a minefield to navigate. But if if they're willing to if if they're willing to navigate that and like kind of you know suffer through a little bit of uh, like like I don't know like a few months of like 
really muddy messaging to come out the other side with something that is, you know, ultimately like super widely available and, and, you know, very enticing, then I, I guess it would make sense. I just, um, I don't know if I'm super convinced. Like I, I'll need to, cause I, my, my biggest question here is like, we know Sony <laughs> isn't the best on the software front, not in the games front, but as far as like software goes and streaming goes, we know that that's the case. We know that Netflix is really good but at that, but we also know that they've not really dabbled in games and, and in, in, in the same way that a lot of other companies have. And dude, even like companies like Google, which you think would, would have a better eye for this type of thing, just completely fail, you know, out the gate with Stadia. And uh, God knows how many other companies have tried this as well. I, I'm just, um, I'm curious as to how savvy Netflix is as a company and if they and if they can pull something like this off because they've really only ever stayed in their lane like they've never really tried to expand in any real way the last time they really tried to expand was when they started streaming and when they were like hey DVDs ah fuck you you don't want a DVD in your mail by the way do you remember when they tried to rename themselves at that time that's like a almost forgotten piece of history Oh, yeah. What was it? Netflix, I think, was going to be the company's name that was going to be the disk service. And they were going to name or maybe it was the other way. I got to look this up real quick. Yeah. It's like Netflix renamed. Yeah. And it was like it lasted literally, I want to say, like two and a half seconds. Yeah, it was in 2011. Netflix changes name, apologizes to customers. And (laughs) oh, yeah, they were going to call it Quickster, which was going to be like the. Yeah. So I, I wow. so that was that I, I'll never forget that I was like what the I, it, that story lasted literally half a day because everyone's you're gonna rename Netflix you can't do it. so anyway uh, Dustin what what's your final well, verdict here here's a hypothetical question oh, okay okay let's say this does happen uh, Netflix PlayStation partner up you can play select PlayStation games via Netflix or something like that can you play Ghost to Tsushima on the Xbox app? on the xbox series i don't know i don't know s or x i don't know i don't i don't know i don't know how this all works wouldn't that be wild it would be i i would imagine though it would be wild i would imagine again this is all just speculation from a couple of images that were scraped off of netflix but it all seems to kind of make a little bit of sense to me it's one of those things i I keep saying recently where it it could be and i'm probably wrong but I, i at least want the audience to know where i'm coming from and i think that my sequence of like where i'm coming from here makes a little bit of sense like you want like who would be a better partner than Netflix to proliferate subscription services? Would you have some sort of boutique version of Netflix only for PlayStation, which would be interesting as well. And all the rest, we talk about that in the inverse with game pass. So I don't know. There's anything here. It's fun to think about. I really want to see what Netflix's solution is for games. And you're right, Chris, they haven't really tried to do anything in a while. There was three big steps for them. It was DVDs, then it was streaming, then it was original content. So this will be the fourth step, which will be interactive media in a greater way. And what's interesting is that I, I'm curious. They they said openly that they want to work on like mobile titles. So they're it seems like they're going to work as a publisher. And so who who the fuck knows what that mm-hmm. means? I mean, it could be that they're going to publish a AAA Stranger Things game on PlayStation 5 for all we know. And, it, and it's, I don't know. I have no idea. But I just think it's weird to have a dual yeah, sense controller and a ghost of Tsushima picture in your back end for no reason. Yeah, it is weird. All right. 
let's move on to the next one here. Number three, is there something fundamentally wrong with PlayStation 5? It's a question we've been asking on this show for a rather glaring reason. Random games seem to not work on the console for different reasons and in random ways, including with Sony's own games, and these problems don't seem to affect any comparable cross-platform iterations. The most recent example of this, according to website Eurogamer, is with racing game F1 2021. In a rare move, EA-owned developer Codemasters patched uh, ray tracing out of the PS5 version of the game. That visual feature remains intact in both the PC and Xbox Series X versions, and it was apparently patched out of the PlayStation 5 version due to stability issues introduced by the ray tracing option. Now, this could be much ado about nothing, but it needs to be taken in the larger context of other games. Returnal straight up doesn't work on some PS5s. Ratchet and Clank is a mess for some people. Third-party games like Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts 2 were unceremoniously delayed indefinitely for PS5 only. Something may be up with build quality or the SDK or something having to do with firmware or certification checklists or any other host of issues. The only change in console manufacturing so far is the recently revealed lighter version of the PS5 digital uh, iteration slightly modified for weight-related reasons, apparently with some screws and stuff, which will drive costs down over the long term. Website Push Square notes that this change isn't nearly as major as one being engineered for 2022, which will allow Sony to use new semi-customized 6 nanometer chips for PlayStation 5 production. Now, Dustin, we've talked about this a lot on the show. I feel like something is going on. I, I don't know what it is, but I don't know that I've ever noticed a small handful of games crossing from first to third party and second party, obviously, that just seem to have peculiar problems for big groups of people and it seems to be happening over and over again and i was connecting this how many times has someone patched something out of a, of a game that's already been patched and past certification once the game got into the wild they discovered something about it that they didn't know so do you think there's something here when you take into account returnals issues ratchets issues and then random third party games like remember ghost uh, uh sniper ghost warrior contracts 2 was delayed for months on PS5 for no particular reason other than that it just didn't seem to work. Right. There's definitely something up. The question is to what extent. To me, I think there might be multiple issues going on at the same time. In particular, the theory with Returnal may have been related to the... in certain ways that the the ray tracing worked, um, which... It could just be that a lot of PS5s are coming out with a bad processor or GPU in them. I mean, there's a thing with PCs when you get uh, a graphics card. They are all slightly different. They call it the silicon lottery. And so people will go and then overclock them. And some of them are able to be more overclocked than others. Now, I'm bringing this up because... There's also just a possibility that some of these GPUs or CPUs are coming down the line and certain either cores or certain connections in them are not consistently working. So that's the, the biggest question overall, though, is to what extent is this happening? Because as we know, our, our very own Ben Smith had a major problem with his PS5. He had to send it to Sony twice before they replaced it. I've heard of other people with the exact same issue. We had uh, a call-in on one of our call-in shows with a very similar issue. My friend um, my friend Jimmy has had a major problem with Ratchet and & Clank. And it's like, we keep hearing these stories. At what point does... I mean, I'm sure Sony would fight tooth and nail before they say anything until it's like they absolutely have to. 
Look at Nintendo with their Joy-Con drift issue. They're still acting like that doesn't exist. But so I don't know. At what point does this just become too significant of an issue to ignore? That's the big question. What do you make of this, Chris? I just I'm a little annoyed about it because there's I'm not a technical person, as everyone knows, but it's clear you can just. If you're an observer of the industry long enough, you know that something's not right here and it's never quite gone like this before. And can you imagine in the pre-patching era if they were dealing with this? Holy moly. They would have yeah, a fucking yeah. huge problem on their hands, man. Like a recall level problem, I think. Now, I, I don't know if it's the tech or the SDK or something to do with the checklist that they give for certification. Something's wrong, though. And Crytek experienced this with Sniper Ghost contracts or it was running on Crytek anyway. I don't think I think that's a rebellion game. But what do you think there's something wrong or do you think this is much ado about nothing? No, I, I think there is something like a little bit weird about the P- the PS5 in general because it seems that like there's a lot of problems with games that aren't really consistent. It seems like a th- that's the weirdest thing about it to me. It's like some people can play Returnal flawlessly. Some people it crashes for them. Some people can't get past the first cutscene without sending their PS5 to Sony twice to get it re- repaired and replaced over the course of like a month and a half. It's like it's such an inconsistent like array of issues for the same games you know so it's like i feel like all the problems that every individual person who played returnal had that probably wasn't a returnal problem it was probably a playstation 5 problem because if it was a returnal problem most of us would have those problems right that's just that's how i would imagine that would work yeah you would assume so so. I feel like there's probably something fundamentally askew with the way that they're assembling these things. And yeah, maybe you don't have like a, a red ring of death situation where like 40% of the hardware just has a, has a, has a high chance of dying. But I do think there's something of a similar level where it's like a lot of PlayStation fives have issues. They're not going to brick your console. They're not going to like, fuck you over they're not gonna like explode you're not gonna have to wrap it in a wet towel for like eight minutes and try and fix it but you're probably gonna notice like weird issues with games that everybody else is probably having a totally fine time with you know whether that means the the gpu is acting a little weird whether the sdk is acting strange whether 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 maybe it has something to do with the fact that uh, the solid state and and is positioned in the way that it is there's a myriad of there are so many reasons why these problems can be happening that it's almost like a daunting task to even narrow it down in the first place. So I don't envy their the position that they're in and trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. But I think something must be going on because this isn't happening with other hardware. It just isn't like you mentioned the Joy-Con drift, right? Yep. With Switch and that exists. But dude, I'm noticing drift on my DualSense. Like straight up. Like I was playing Metro Exodus and I put the controller down to get a drink and then I came back and I was like wandering to the left, like just through an open field and I was getting like attacked by demons or whatever. I was like, what the hell's going on? I was in a safe place. It sucks. I don't know. It's very bizarre. There's like, I mean, this is to be expected also Mm. with in some way with like the first iteration of new hardware. There's always weird kind of quirks and weird bugs and and differences in comparison to like later builds like even even if they don't do a refresh of like new hardware like hey here's the ps2 slim 
there are several versions of the original fat PS2 just based on the ways that like technology gets cheaper and like components get cheaper and like, ah, oh, we could put this part in and it does the same thing. There's a lot to consider, but there's definitely something up with the PS5 in comparison, at least to the other consoles on the market and even other hardware on the market, too. I'm curious about this. And yeah, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this. But you guys are right. There are less serious technical issues like switch with the, the, the drift and all the rest. So I guess we'll we'll find out one way or the other. Or maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just stop happening and then we'll figure out that they've kind of silently squashed the problem on a firmware level, perhaps. I'm going to call this next one 3A. I don't know if you guys saw this. I didn't write it in. It just broke. Dead Space is being remade by EA Motive. It's been announced. And there's a short teaser for it. Unknown date. PlayStation 5. No last gen versions. And um, that's all we basically know. Apparently no loading times. Totally seamless from front to end. So that we don't we don't know, but this is rumor has been circulating for a while. So let's cut in with this. Dustin, what are your preliminary thoughts? Dead Space remade uh, by EA Motive. I have not watched it. Apparently, it's just like a very, very short in-game trailer, which I think when we were talking about the remake, I was about the rumors. I was like, yeah, you're it'll get announced, but you're not getting anything, uh, which sounds about right. But the the one image that I see here of Isaac looks very, very good. Uh, I was playing a little bit of the first Dead Space the other day on stream, and uh, it's definitely a little dated at this point. Not like from a gameplay standpoint, but just from a visual standpoint. So I'm very happy to hear that it's current gen only, so we can get that full fat experience. And I'm ready to uh, chop some limbs in on PS5. I, I gotta say, Chris, I'm curious about your take because I love this game. I love the original game, and we all do. I'm a little disappointed. I, I I wanted them to re-release them leading into some sort of reimagining of Dead Space or whatever. But I'll take this. I think it's pretty cool. EA seems to be paying more attention to what people actually want, which is nice. And EA Motive working on this doesn't fill me with an entire helping of confidence, but Visceral set a nice little path here, so I think we'll be okay. What do you think? I think this looks... I mean, yeah. I, I'm watching the trailer, so and it is a teaser trailer. There's really not much to go on, but it looks... Looks pretty nice. Isaac looks great. I I love Dead Space, and it like you said, it hasn't aged like poorly particularly. But I think it right. could use for a spruce up, and I think re-releasing them would have been nice. It, it would be nice in general to have access to games that came out back then, just as a general principle. That would be, you know, pretty convenient and and uh, nice. I know you can play them on on the Series X because they're backwards compatible, but it sucks that the, that's really the only place you could play them because the PC versions are super borked as well. Like, I don't, I don't know who handled the PC ports to the original Dead Space, but they don't they, they do not function well at all. So no. it sucks that, like, really the only real way to relive those games is over on the Xbox ecosystem. But I'm more excited about this than I would have been a re-release of the old games because I do love the old games, but I am curious to see, like, what what a new interpretation of that can be, especially because it's such a simple, like, I feel like anybody who's working on a Dead Space remake is, is somebody who wants to be working on it, you know? It's such a specific, like, beloved game. And it's so, it's super popular, but it's also, like, really niche. Like, I don't know a lot of people outside of the industry who know about Dead Space in the same way that people know about, you know, 
Fortnite or whatever the hell. It's or not, Resident it's Evil not or something break, like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's its own kind of like niche hit. And I'm excited to see what a new team can do with it. Um, it's been a long time, so I'll take whatever I can get with Dead Space. You know, at least I'm getting something. Unlike, uh, you know, other... Well, we'll talk. We're going to talk about that in just a a short moment. I'm looking forward to this. I just, yeah, I wanted more access to the other games, like we said, on PS4 and PS5. Maybe we'll get that, too. I I don't I think the only thing that would make Dead Space remake look better is to just re-release a remaster of the original as well. So hopefully we'll get that. And if you're going to do that, you wouldn't necessarily want to expose all that at once. But I would have done it if both of those things do happen. And it probably won't. I would have done it in the reverse and announced the remaster first and then no one does it really like sly cooper trilogy did it remember on ps3 where they if you beat all three games and got the platinums then it teased the new game so like it wasn't until like a week after it came out that people realized that we're teasing a new game in there they should do more stuff like that i think that'd be fun all right chris number four mega publisher ubisoft has revealed an all new tom clancy's related project it's called x defiant it's being developed by ubisoft san francisco and it's a free-to-play multiplayer fps coming to both playstation 4 and playstation 5 it honestly looks incredibly generic, but it does have a cool twist. The lore and gameplay revolve around enemy factions seen in various Tom Clancy games like the Cleaners from The Division or the Wolves from Ghost Recon. The introductory video shows a ton of gameplay and it looks fast, fluid and colorful, but nothing to get too excited about. We also don't know when the game will launch in full, though Ubisoft is soliciting beta signups as we speak. Ubisoft San Francisco, best known as the architects of the Rocksmith franchise that will also be see- uh, is also currently seeing a revitalization also worked on the beloved 2014 RPG South Park, the Fractured But Whole. Abram Buner wrote in and said, hey, boys, quick question for the ray gun primarily. Chris, how in the fuck do you find the spiritual fortitude to get out of bed and face each new day in a post Tom Clancy's ex defiant world? Best of luck in these trying times. All right. So when I saw this launcher first, I'm like, is it called defiant? And is the X supposed to be like the the face? Like, I, and then I was like, oh, it's called X yes. defiant. So. I don't know. Chris, why don't you just talk to me about how you feel about this? I just, uh, just uh, why hurt me this way consistently? Like, what is ha- What are you doing? Like, why do you loathe me specifically? They they showed not not one. It's it's not even one character, but two characters on the fucking poster for this godforsaken game have the, the, the splinter cell goggles on. And I. I I'm having like a little bit of a breakdown right now because I just I just don't understand like why they would do this. Look, this game I, I saw the trailer. I thought when I first saw it genuinely that it was a leak, like a Call of Duty leak. Like I sincerely thought like it looked exactly like Call of Duty. It looked like except with like oh funnier fonts, I guess. And you know, a free to play like Tom Clancy Black Ops Four clone type deal. Like it's not that that's a bad. Game. It's not that that's not a, a decent idea. It doesn't. It's not that it doesn't look like it could be fun because it does. It looks snappy. Like you know, it's it's, it's a competent game. But also, why? You know, th- is this really a Tom Clancy game? Like when you look at this, does do you think Tom Clancy? I, f- I feel like Tom Clancy needs a serious like refresh as to what that brand is supposed to be. Because at at this point, why not Tom Clancy's Raving Rabbits? Yeah. For real, like, <laughs> like what what separates Tom Clancy from anything other than just like someone wrote in, sa- someone wrote in saying that actually I just didn't use it. That's funny that you said that. It, it's it, it's just a, a fucking branding thing now. Like this dude is like nothing he ever wrote about or or did has 
anything to do with anything that bears his name now. And that was even like, you could even argue that was the case with like the original Splinter Cell and stuff like that, where it's like, all right, well, they're, they're doing a little bit of license, but at least it's still grounded and like tactical and, you know, it's espionage. Like you could make a pretty decent case that like, yeah, you know, it's not exactly Tom Clancy, but it's in that vein. But now that name is just nothing. And I just don't understand who this is for. I don't understand why they just have this urge to just show Splinter Cell iconography everywhere without doing a damn thing with it. I'm so confused, man. Like, it's just so baffled by it. Here's the funny. Here's the funny thing about this. And I don't know if people realize this, Dustin. About Tom Clancy, because I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up. First of all, Tom Clancy's been dead for like almost 10 years. I, I actually really love Tom Clancy. In fact, <laughs> I'm going to rename I'm going to name this episode after a Tom Clancy novel, Red Storm Rising, because we were talking about stuff with the communists that was about the Soviets. But I love that book. That was the book that introduced me when I was like, younger to his techno thriller, you know, so-called subgenre. But what people don't realize, I don't think, is that Tom Clancy founded Red Storm Entertainment to make Tom Clancy video games and Ubisoft bought Red Storm and acquired Tom Clancy's with an apostrophe S, which they can use in perpetuity. And I wonder how Tom Clancy, if he were alive today, would feel about what the fuck has happened since the quaint days. I mean, when Red Storm Rising was or Red, I'm sorry, when um, Red Storm was founded entertainment, they were making like games about like the hunt for Red October and shit like that. Now they're making now fast forward 25 years and it's X defiant. That's the thing that I was I was wondering. I'm like, man, Tom Clancy, who my my um my stepfather is a FBI analyst and he was a naval intelligence officer and he says the scuttlebutt about Clancy was that he always had incredible inside sources because the things he was writing about were real like the weapons the technologies the people and now we get <laughs> and now we get X defiant so it's come a long way what do you think about all this yeah I just the name what's the name X defiant I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I can't say? get over the name. I that's the I watched the trailer. You're right. It's like okay, this is like trying to do Call of Duty, but <laughs> dude, and it's funny because they keep trying to do these free to play. They what was that that stupid battle royale game uh, that was like people talked about for like one week and then just disappeared completely. Uh, no, that's that's a lot of them. Yeah, I know. Like what? You got to be way more specific than that. It was a I can't. the bicycle one by Cliff Lazinski, the bicycle, the bike one. No, Rival this Heights. was this was a, a Ubisoft <laughs> one where you're like in a computer like you that your characters are in like a Tron world. See, this is the problem. This is OK. This is to my point. Here. Was that an iOS game? No, because they, they did. Uh, they did cancel an iOS Clancy game recently, but it doesn't matter. Okay, Just say what you need to say, Dustin. Just that. Um, I don't know. It seems like Ubisoft is. Ha- oh, it's called Hyperscape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. Right. Sure. They seem to be can like, I don't know. They're just trying. So we, we hear about Assassin's Creed Infinity. We're hearing about this free to play game. Um, I don't know. This just seems like a company that I don't, they've had so much success in. Well, I guess maybe not. Now that I think about this, they we don't know how Watch Dogs uh, Legion did. And we don't know how, I mean, I guess we can know and look, but I'm just curious if those games weren't quite the sales that they were expecting. And so now they're like, we need to shift our business model into 
more live service based or even convert our single player games into a more service based thing. You know what I mean? It's just it seems like a weird, complete shift we've seen from them in the last 12 months. Yeah, it's it's confusing, too, because like the last Assassin's Creed sold a ton. So like you, you'd, you'd think that that would like reinforce them in, in you know, in, in the opposite direction. But I, I guess we have this, you know, I don't know. It's a free-to-play Call of Duty clone is what it looks like. And it looks fine. Like, I bet if you played it, you'd be like, that was a decent time. It doesn't look offensively bad. It's it's literally just the fact that, like, this... What bothers me most about it is just, like, they're using Splinter Cell iconography. Again. For, like, the fifth, sixth year in a row without doing a goddamn thing with it. And it's it, and it's just... It's offensive to me at this point. At, at this point, just, like, put it away, please. But... It's another free-to-play game, and and I don't know. It'll it'll find some audience maybe, but like nobody reacted positively to this. Uh, I saw nobody excited about it. You can tell when people are excited about something, and you and you could just tell absolutely like when you got on the internet when this thing was shown off for the first time that that was just not the vibe. And it sucks for the people making it because I'm sure they're all good people and they're like probably like super pumped about it, and you know. <sighs> what do you say about a game like this? It looks so unremarkable. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. What do you say about a problem like Maria? I mean, it's 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 interesting because I think Dustin hit the nail on the head too, Chris, with like, what the fuck are they doing over there? <laughs> I don't. The weird thing about Ubisoft to me, what's so strange about this and why, you know, well, I'm not a businessman. I'm not Yves Gilman or something, but well, I am a businessman. I don't know why I'm saying that I own two businesses, but I'm not I'm not C-suite Yves Gilman. But it seemed like Ubisoft actually kind of had the right idea. For a while, we have some games that are really popular and we support for a long time. Rainbow Six Siege. We have multiplayer centric games that can be played by themselves, like The Division and Ghost Recon. Then we have our single player centric games like Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. And then we have our games as a service like Rocksmith and uh, so on and so forth. And then some interstitials in there. They were the ones that seemed like they had it. They had their head on straight. Mm hmm. So that's the thing that frustrates me is just I love Far Cry, for instance, and everyone knows I love the division. And I'm curious, well, what's going to happen to these things now? What are you doing? And X Defiant seems like a game that was conceived of by people that don't play video games and do not understand. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, if they put me in a room with that game a week ago and we're like, this is the game we're going to announce. Here's all the shit. I'm like, you guys are going to be in for a fucking world of hurt with this one. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So certainly they must know. I miss, um, I, I miss, I miss Child of Child of Light, Ubisoft. Right, that was like a fun, Valiant Hearts. That was a fun thing. Yeah, Ubisoft. Valiant Hearts, yeah. Ubisoft. Yeah, like I don't know. This is, I don't know what we can say about this. We, you know, I, I, I'm at a loss. But uh, that's usually, usually that's just what happens on uh, on episodes like this, where it's like, hey, you know, here's another episode of uh, Tom Clancy's Sacred Symbols. <laughs> where we where we get lost since my why not yeah it's honestly sure. Dustin, you, what, well, yeah what's your take man i was just gonna say did you guys see the world the so it like sort of either leaked or was like soft announced on twitter but then there was a worldwide reveal trailer that has these two guys uh in a warehouse oh yeah the executive I watched it. producer I, yeah, yeah and he's it. like uh x defiant is uh intense firefights and the other guys meets punk rock mosh pit i'm like shut the fuck up like tom clancy's punk rock mosh pit. yeah everyone always wanted tom when you were when you were reading hunt for red october in the 80s that's what everyone was hoping for was wow this is one of the great political thrillers ever written 
That's what I'm saying. Tom Clancy's probably like, oh my God. He was smart enough to realize that he, his games would make a lot of money. And I'm sure, I would imagine, his, well, I don't know. His estate seems pretty loose, loosey-goosey, because there's been like 15 Tom Clancy novels since he died. So, right, yeah. Which is hysterical. Do you think, uh, do you think um, the way that Ubisoft generates their power and like their electricity and their facility is that they just hook up diodes to Tom Clancy's grave and just make decisions that they know will make him spin at an unrelenting speed is that mm-hmm. do you th- is, is that that because that seems to be how they you know power their facilities how they power their, their just fucking... through the just through the tears of that's a hydroelectric dam that's that's driven by exactly. the tears of specifically splinter cell fans yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a hamster on a wheel, except it's uh, Tom Clancy's dusty skeleton spinning <laughs> at <laughs> 200 miles an hour. Oh, man, that's funny. God help us. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little much, but we'll see. I mean, maybe it'll be good. I don't want to judge it, but I, I just if I were a betting man, I don't think so. I don't I don't, yeah. I don't and I don't I'll just reiterate Ubisoft seems to be committing seppuku for some reason unknown to everyone. Like, why are you doing this? What Assassin's Creed, the last two Assassin's Creed games, just as an example, sold better than any Assassin's Creed game ever. And then they're like, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. And then Far Cry is like just building and building like, eh, I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. And then the division is building and building and they're like, we're going to make it free to play. It's like, what? What? What do you? What are you doing? I, I, I just don't understand. So I want I want to know more about their strategy because it seemed like they were kind of Again, all the accusations against them aside, they were kind of the likable AAA publisher when you really think about all of them, right? 2K has no fucking, no cachet. Everyone hates EA. Everyone hates Activision. Ubisoft was kind of like the outlier being like, oh, they kind of, they kind of do seem like they have it together and they have fun and they have good games and they have a variety of games, but people, people like EA more now. Like they're they're, like EA is like actually like has a way better image now, I think, than like. I agree. They probably ever have. I agree. Especially because they just, well, I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. Let's get into this next one about not EA, but Konami. This is, this would actually have been the top story, I think, in most weeks, but there's just so many other things to talk about. Number six, Konami is slated to make a gigantic change to its long running Pro Evolution Soccer franchise. The short version of the story is that Konami is changing the name of Pro Evolution Soccer completely and going totally free to play. Pez will now adopt its more recent eFootball moniker and will be known just as that. And starting this fall, according to multiple sources, it will become a download-only free-to-play game that will be updated over many years, as opposed to just annualizing releases, which it has done during its entire existence. Rival Electronic Arts' long-running FIFA franchise dominates the global soccer market, but Pro Evolution Soccer, known as Winning Eleven in Japan, has cut its own profitable niche, particularly considering soccer is so huge worldwide. The first Pez title launched as J-League JQ Winning Eleven on PS1 in 1995 in Japan, and each year since has seen a new entry across PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4, and PSP. No Vita. Almost all of them localized for Western consumption. Unlike EA's FIFA, which is planning to migrate to PlayStation 5 beginning with its next iteration, eFootball is staying on PlayStation 4 for now, though it will obviously be playable on PS5. It will support full crossplay and has a roadmap of growth for the short term. This technique is an inspired way to compete with the better funded and more popular FIFA in a new way. In the, in the same way Sega once did with the NFL 2K when it dropped NFL 2K 5's price from $50 to $20 to compete with Madden NFL's $50 price tag. EA subsequently acquired exclusive rights to NFL simulations, thus freezing out its competitor that was winning. 
Uh, the same won't be possible here. So Press Start Gamer wrote in, said, hey, Last Stand, uh, Last Stand Sacred Trio, hope you guys are doing great. I'm not a huge sports game fan myself, but I find this new pivot by Konami with a free-to-play Pez, now called eFootball, fascinating. What do you think it's about its announcement and its potential impact to FIFA and or sports in general? Thanks. So FIFA's major advantage over Pez is in licensing, and this isn't going to ameliorate that in the short term. But this is exactly what Konami needed to do. And I must say, Chris, we're seeing Konami come out of the shadows the recent six months or so. And it's exciting. And uh, I'm wondering, we're not soccer fans here, football fans. We're football, American football. I'm an American football fan. None of us really care about soccer. But what do you make about this this announcement? This is a pretty meteoric thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's I think it's a smart thing for them to do. And like, but like you said, I also think it's interesting that they're even doing it in the first place because, like, your first assumption with Konami is that they wouldn't even care enough to even make a decision like this. They just ah, fucking keep doing whatever. We're gonna make pachinko machines and uh, be uh, cruel and nefarious to people who uh, <laughs> make our most popular IP. <laughs> you know, like I think uh, I, I don't know. Like it's it. Obviously, I'm not a sports person, but this is I think the way that sports games should be. Uh, I don't I always felt kind of weird about the fact that they kept selling what's ostensibly just a tweaked version of the same game every year. It always felt wrong. It it feels wrong to me that Call of Duty does that and that Call of Duty is very way more than, you know, Madden does year to year in my at least in my opinion. Granted, limited experience, but some experience nevertheless. And I think this is a, a really smart way to compete. I think um I think soccer is about as interesting as, you know, watching the DVD screensaver kind of like almost go into the corner <laughs> right. on old TVs. Like that but, old yeah. Office episode. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like that big, like th- that video of like them watching that at the stadium and everybody's like che- mm. screaming when it goes in the corner. <laughs> so it's not, you know, I'm not going to flock to it or anything, but I think this is a really smart thing for Konami to do. And the fact that Konami is doing it is in and of itself particularly exciting because like you said it means they're active in the space again in a way that they haven't really been in a long long time Dustin what do you make about this I, I find Konami's re-engagement tantalizing now we've this has been going on since 2019 or so remember they like randomly started releasing Castlevania games again like the collections they did Castlevania Requiem which Sony paid for I think that that's actually a canary in the coal mine in and of itself of Sony's early interactions with getting Konami back out, which is why I think that Metal Gear Solid remake is a PlayStation exclusive. But Chris is right. This is just another piece of the puzzle for them. Remember, they they announced their Western European driven indie initiative a few months ago, and they're going to start publishing games out of there. And they announced their, although not very exciting partnership with Bloober. We might be able to hear more out of them. Maybe Blue Box has something to do with them. We don't really know. But this seems like a not only a, a Konami is I don't want to say Konami is back. I don't know if I mean that, but it seems like a move where it's like, no, we 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 want to fight now. And Chris is right. This is not a move they made. They were very happy to let Pez just exist for a long time. Right. I I applaud this move because we've seen the mobilization of the sports game genre over the past five or so years now, particularly the the 
the NBA game that was out either last year or something where it was like just completely egregious microtransactions microtransactions on top of a full price game. And that's just kind of the standard for these, which is sad because I would love to see someone just be like, here's our premier sports title. It's better than our competitors. It costs $70 and there's no microtransactions. But unfortunately, that's not the right business move because these like create a team player pack bullshit, whatever it is, that's where the real money from these games are made. So it's cool to see Konami just be like, yeah, we're just going to make it free because we know that people that play this are going to buy the packs or whatever their microtransactions. It's like, you know, there's there's got to be a scale of microtransactions versus what's in the base games. And these sports games have gone too far in numerous instances. So for them to do this, I think, is the right move for the consumer. They can play it. They can choose to spend nothing or they can spend some money. I mean, we don't know what the extent of the microtransactions will be at this time. It could be horrible and not worth being free at all, but we'll see. So, kind of... <laughs> oh, good. No, it's for some reason this thing, this just popped into my head. It's kind of interesting that like video games have kind of gone the way of like uh, almost like musicians in a way, in a way where like it's not really about how many CDs you sell it's about like how well you engage people in like a live environment or like how how much like merch you sell only it's like right. now it's like digital merch and like live service like uh microtransactions and like uh battle passes or whatever right just like, yeah clicked in my head it's like oh it's such a weird such a weird thing right and and Colin I think you bring up a good point too about just a uh an energized Konami in the gaming space in particular weren't they they were supposed to present at E3 yeah, and then they, they, and they canceled. Yeah, I think so, I think that might have had something. To, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm going to keep theorizing that they're they're getting in bed with Sony. Not in a, an official way, but I think that we're going to start seeing them roll out a few things. They, they haven't also announced the Castlevania Advanced Collection, which we know is coming because it was rated. So mm-hmm. I theorize that they'll make a Castlevania game based on that animated series. I think that's a fucking obvious thing to do and people love that animated series and here's the other thing this is how quickly things move i think remember metal gear solid 5 came out in 2015 september of 2015 everyone fucking hated konami and were tired of them and konami literally took their ball and went home for a while they released metal gear rising and a few other games later but nothing really at all and i think we kind of miss them i mean i can only speak for myself but i kind of miss konami they have a bunch of games that i want to play a bunch of ip i want them to investigate and so we'll see what happens here, but not all is well because your boy, Nikki V, who I like to call Nikki the fifth, wrote in and said, hey, big daddy, <laughs> Dilf Colin, Dickalicious Dustin and Sweet Cheeks Chris. That's like three sexual harassments. Mm. Since nobody else will do this, I just wanted to write in with an obituary for Pro Evo. Not only has the series gone free to play so Konami can nickel and dime us more than ever, but it's also now going to be crossplay between PS5 and mobile. Catering to such weak hardware obviously has huge ramifications for the animations and systems. Needless to say, the new trailer looks worse than any Pez since the PS3 days. So I did want to throw out, because we got oh quite, quite, quite a few people writing in, that Pez fans are not pleased with this. But I think Konami's in kind of a do you know do or die situation with this franchise. FIFA is dominant. FIFA is a completely dominant, license-heavy, endorsement-heavy, expensive game with thousands of people working on it. And if they want to make a soccer game, they have to compete. And I don't think this is a bad idea because... Lowering the barrier of entry to nothing means that 
you can't really lose. How can you lose? And EA is going in the opposite direction. So I think Konami is making the right optical choice, even though I have no affinity for these games. So I know that people feel like they're losing something. I look at it and I say, Konami is going to start stealing FIFA customers away because FIFA customers, from what I can tell, they love the game. It's very solid, but it's the worst of both worlds. It's 60 or $70 to get in, depending on which version you buy starting next year. Uh, and they have a fucking, you know, the, the pro team shit or whatever they call it. It's like massive overcorrection towards microtransactions. So for Konami to just embrace one and not the other, I think is great. And we'll see if it works or not, but I think it's the only way out for them. I think Pez will just become a smaller and smaller and more niche product if they don't do this now. All right, let's move on to number seven here. Just after last week's show, the MPD Group, the organization that tracks game sales in the United States, released its data for June of 2021. For starters, Xbox Series X outsold PlayStation 5 in the US. A stark reminder for Sony that it may be losing the messaging war to a competitor that rarely ever won a month in the world's biggest gaming market last generation. However, PS5 still remains the best-selling game console in American history through their first respective eight months on the market and is likely past the 10 million sold barrier worldwide as of this month. Good news continues for Sony on the software charts, where Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart was the best-selling game in the U.S. for the month, with Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War coming in second. MLB The Show 21 slotted at four, with Scarlet Nexus at five, Resident Evil Village at six, and Miles Morales at nine. Those sales are for all platforms, however. If you narrow it down to just games sold on PlayStation platforms, the top 10 best-selling games in the U.S. across PS4 and PS5 were in order. Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, MLB The Show 21, Miles Morales, Resident Evil Village, Scarlet Nexus, Minecraft, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Ghost of Tsushima, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. 2021's best-selling games so far in the U.S. include Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War at 1, Resident Evil Village at 2, MLB The Show 21 at 3, Miles Morales at 5, and Outriders at 9. Over the last 12 months spanning back to last summer, the best-selling games in the U.S. include Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War at 1, Madden NFL 21 at 2, Assassin's Creed Valhalla at 3, Miles Morales at 4, and Ghost of Tsushima at 5. The one thing I wanted to say here, guys, not too interesting or important, but I feel like Game Pass isn't having a deleterious effect on PlayStation game sales to the extent that we might have thought. We don't have specific numbers, but when you look at something like MLB The Show 21 still slotting very high, MLB Show The 21 is the third best-selling game in the U.S., which is nuts for the entire year mm -hmm. when it was free day one on Xbox Game Pass. Outriders, the ninth best-selling game of the year, available day one on Game Pass. Now, Microsoft might say, well, we, we helped sell more games. That might be true. We don't really know. They're very weird about their data. But Dustin, do you see anything in these numbers that's interesting to you? I, I found that quite interesting that Game Pass-assisted games don't seem to be suffering in global cross-platform sales. And right. you see this most starkly, I think, with MLB The Show 21, which is basically the third best selling game in the United States for the year only on PlayStation. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, that's kind of you're right. But the interesting thing, we saw this also with um, Outriders, uh, big sales on PlayStation 5, despite the fact that it's free or, you know, available on Game Pass as well. I'm also really curious just about the fact that the, you know, the Series X outsold PS5 for a month. You got to wonder if that's due to availability or just in the fact that it's been enough months since the PS5 came out that people are now starting to double dip more and more. Or, I mean, it could just be that the PS5 wasn't very available in June either. Chris, what do you make about uh, these sales? Do you think that um, 
Game Pass is having a deleterious effect or neutral? No, no, I, I also don't know if that was I don't know if that's really the goal. I think I think um, I think their approach is like, you know, get this game out to as many people as possible and it'll do well for it'll do well for the developer and they'll sell more as a result, even if uh, even if it's off their platform. I think uh, I think with MLB The Show, it's pretty obvious to me that that one was always going to sell like a ton on PlayStation anyway because people just have people get into rituals with that that kind of thing like it's like oh hey MLB I've been playing this game for however many years I'm going to buy the new one it's just kind of like the, a thing you would expect and and Outriders no doubt um sold a ton on PlayStation as a result of probably a lot of positive buzz from people playing it for the first time through Game Pass. Yeah. And like people will be like, yeah, well, I don't have an Xbox. I have a PlayStation. People are talking about Outriders. I got money. Uh, not enough for a new console, but definitely enough for a new game. And yeah, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know if necessarily the strategy is to have a deleterious effect. I, uh, um, so I don't know if that's... Well, I, I want to be... You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean, but I want to be clear that I'm not saying that the intent was that but that oh, that right, was right. the ramification of making your games free that you would assume Microsoft would be responsible for. Let's say like it's 40, 40, 20 or no. Let's say it's like, I don't know what it would be. Let's just say 40, 40, 20. So 40 Xbox, 40 PlayStation, 20 PC. You would assume that that 40 from Xbox would just disappear. Now, that's not what they want, but that is what's going to happen. And you would think that that would drop all of those games off the list. But. I think you're right, specifically with Outriders, that this actually helped as a promotional outlet for the game and, and it made more people aware of it. The only thing we're missing mm -hmm. out of Microsoft is because people always point to these very vague stats. They say it's like Game Pass subscribers spend 15 percent more money or whatever. I'm like, that's fucking, who gives a shit. What it, are they buying full price games? And if so, like what games are they buying? And if so, at what level are they buying them? That's the bigger question I have, because it seems like people are still buying games. Yeah. Over there. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about it. Like, definitely there are games that I, I've downloaded on Game Pass that I've played a little bit of and, and put it down for a while. And then they cycle out of Game Pass and then I go back to play them. And it's like, oh, it's not on Game Pass anymore. It's like, oh, well, I like this game quite a bit, so I'm going to buy it anyway. Or like uh, if it's a game that I just know that I'm going to like want for a long time, it's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to download this. I'm going to buy it. So I, I have no doubt that it, it helps sell games as well. I'm just curious. Um because I think for the most part, anybody who, if you're not interested in Outriders, you're you're not going to buy it, you know. But if you can try it, and then it cycles out of the service, and you kind of like it, you might buy it, and or you might be like, hey, you know, I, I want to support the developer. I think it's an interesting thing. Like I wish I wish we had more concrete information about how all of these things like link with each other and like like what people are playing what and what percentage of people playing this type of game buy what type of game and like I wish we had more data to like sift through but it's really just all inference and, and like just based on like the way that I interact with the service that's the only way that I could really you know give any insight but I think it's an interesting it's interesting to me that Series X outsold PlayStation and that MLB is still this like like chart topping thing this long after it came out on PlayStation. I think both of those in tandem are interesting. Definitely. Definitely. We'll keep an eye on it. And I love the word you use inference. That's all we can really do is infer yeah. information because they're so stingy about data. And I don't blame them, but it's just it is annoying. I bet it's just I bet it's confusing data. <laughs> I bet it's like 
Right. <laughs> like, like it's so many different channels by which to, to process things. I, you know, I don't envy the people who have to analyze that data either. No, me neither. Right. One other thing just to look at as a point of comparison, too, is that this isn't just happening with PlayStation, but also on the PC front. For example, Sea of Thieves is a top seller on Steam. That's right. Halo Master Chief Collection is a top seller on Steam. Uh, Outer Worlds, which I believe is still on Game Pass, is, you know, a, a top seller. So I think we're seeing C- tons I, I was of- going to say, I think Sea of Thieves was on the MPD from yeah. its yeah. PC sales, which is cra- right. which is crazy. Yeah. So there's something to be said of even PC gamers that would rather purchase the game or they just uh, I I don't know it's just to me when I think about it it's like certain games like I would rather I don't care about owning them or having them in my Steam library like I'm cool with like dipping into Game Pass for a month or two and then leaving but there's there's clearly an interest in in uh, actual ownership as much as you can own a digital item on something like Steam uh, but that's still a, a thing of value to people all right, let's get into this next one here. Number eight, Colin frustration moment. During E3, publisher Square Enix revealed that it would be bringing faithful ports of the first six Final Fantasy games to PC and mobile, but not to console. This struck virtually everyone as both strange and obnoxious. But according to website IGN, there may be some good news. It seems Square Enix is listening. The site translated a Japanese language Q&A Square Enix conducted that actually touches on a lot of interesting information, including that the ports are of the original Famicom and Super Famicom iterations that composer Nobuo, uh, Nubuo, I, I can never say his name, Nobuo Yumetsu, right? Yumetsu? You, you, How do you say it? I only read it. Yumetsu? Nobuo Yumetsu, I think, is overseeing the music and much right. more. I don't know how many times I have to read words and then like, I'm like, oh, I've never actually heard anyone say this before. But the big piece of information, that's actually not one of those words, though. But the big piece of information is that Square Enix wants to bring these games to other platforms if there's enough demand, which is an insane proclamation considering Square Enix has been bringing more and more obscure games to the PlayStation for years, culminating recently with both Saga Frontiers re-release and Legend of Mana, both on PlayStation 4. Yet, the six original Final Fantasy games aren't there. Final Fantasy, perhaps the most beloved JRPG franchise of all time, began in Japan in 1987 when the original came to Famicom. It was famously called Final Fantasy because it was a make-or-break game for the company at the time known as Squaresoft. Obviously, it was a huge hit and was followed by two Famicom sequels and three more games on the Super Famicom. In America, we only received the first game on NES, then the fourth and sixth games on SNES, which we initially knew as Final Fantasy II and Final Fantasy III. And the newest one came to SNES in 1994. Jace McCarver wrote into us and said, hey, LS team, uh, LSM team, will the Steam Deck convince Colin to buy Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters? Or we hold out hope for a PlayStation release. No, I'm not going to play. Now, I just want to speak about this. I know you guys don't care too much about this, but this was an outrage when this happened. And I mean that from the very bottom of my heart. When they made this announcement, it was a fucking outrage. And what's even worse is that they were like, oh, if there's demand, did they read any social media anywhere in the world? Because it was a big deal in Japan as well. Did they read anything on the Internet that... It's not even hard to do this. I know it's not like I would port these games for them if they wanted us to. But I am holding out hope, Jace, that they're going to come to PlayStation. I think it's really weird. But Dustin, what do you think about the argument that they're like, we don't know if there's demand for Final Fantasy six, but we released Saga Frontier on PlayStation four a few months ago. Saga Frontier. And we released. They they release every legend game. They're releasing Legend of Mana or uh, Secret of Mana and Adventures of Mana on Vita. 
on Vita. And they don't think that there is a demand for the first six Final Fantasy games on PlayStation. Outrageous. Yeah, I, I think that either just their messaging is so bad because I feel like they know. I mean, dude, I mean, Japanese companies just do things that I, I don't know if it's just a different cultural mindset. Like thinking about Atlas, right? They people wanted Persona 5 on Switch, which totally doable. It's a PS3 game. Never happened. And then they're like, oh, here's a Persona 5 Strikers, the spin-off game on Switch. And people are like, what the fuck? You're putting the spin-off game on the platform and not the actual main <laughs> title. And they've done this before. They did that with Persona 4 Arena. They put it on Xbox 360. There's never been a mainline Persona game on Xbox, but yet there's this random-ass Persona fighting game available. So there's so, sometimes the, the Japanese do strange things that when it comes to releases that just are are very puzzling but colin i think that i think your wish will be granted i think these games will come to playstation uh you'll just have to wait a little longer yeah i mean i hope so i i gotta say i was infuriated when they made that announcement i really was I was like, I can't because I was actually wall. i never get excited about anything when i watch you know i'm just taking my notes and watching things calmly and trying to ascertain what's going on and then I, I actually was really excited and they just it just taught me that i can never hope for anything better in my life <laughs> you know you got to just accept that those things are good now chris will you play these games uh what the the yeah will you try the, a final fantasy like will you play final fantasy one see what it's all about will you see what final fantasy six is all about four etc yeah no i definitely i definitely want to play through like an original proper final fantasy game which which one i have no idea um, I'm sure I could probably find four or six. I would think would be the one people would recommend. Ones. Th that's recommend. what I've. That's what I've been hearing. Because six is uh, Kefka, right? Yep, that's Kefka. Yeah, yeah. That I think that's the probably the one I want to play. But like all of them, probably not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems like a lot for me. I. But I'm sorry. I go do want to. I do want. No, I j I'm just saying. I, I do want to get through at least one. Just. Uh, just for my own sake. Sure. I think it would be. It would be good. I think you'd have fun, and it's it's a nice little trip back four and six are truly magnificent games and i think they're important pieces of history and i know that i'm psych psychotic but i would platinum the shit out of those six games and that's the thing they're going to do by the way they're going to do some fucking nonsense you know it where they're going to release no these games yeah they're going to release them on all like gold yeah that's just all like nonsense it's like turn on the game and you get all the trophies and i'll be like ah all right number nine speaking of square nx and final fantasy it appears final fantasy 14 is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger so much so that the publisher is having a hard time keeping up with server demand the game's director and producer naoki yoshida who's also directing final fantasy 16 wrote a lengthy letter to speak about the issues and how they're dealing with them according to yoshida's letter in part quote final fantasy 14 is currently experiencing a dramatic increase in its player base this increase is not only limited to the global version served by the Japanese, North American, and European data centers, but also the locally operated Chinese and Korean versions as well. Recently, we have experienced record user numbers in all regions, with a vast amount of new players beginning their adventures. In particular, the increase in North America and Europe over the past two weeks has been so staggering and unexpected that many players are now having difficulty logging in or creating new characters due to server congestion, and for this, we deeply apologize." End quote. As such, he and his team are working on a ton of fixes and features that will alleviate the load and ultimately get it back to normal. The letter is extensive. You guys should go read it if you're interested. I really appreciated the candor in it. Better yet, 
and with a bunch of uh, it'll have uh, I'm sorry, better yet. And with a touch of much needed pride, Yoshida takes personal responsibility for this failure as producer of the game. That was also very nice to read. He just is like, it's my fault as the producer. Final Fantasy 14 originally launched in 2010 and was considered so bad that Square Enix stopped selling it in 2012, re-releasing it in its Realm Reborn format on PS3 and PC in 2013. It came to PS4 in 2014 and PS5 earlier this year. The move is credited with saving the game, and at last report, the game has nearly 25 million registered players, with three expansions available in addition to the core game. The fourth, Endwalker, is due out later this year. The only other MMO for Final Fantasy, 2002's Final Fantasy XI, which was on PS2 and elsewhere, is still supported to this day. Dustin, what did you make of this story? I, I, I find this remarkable, and it reminds me a little bit of what Ubisoft did with Siege, but this is even more impressive because this is a game that requires a lot of time, and they're seeing record server load 11 years later. What do you make of that? That's the question, is what, what was the catalyst for all this? I don't know if it was just people on Twitch started streaming or maybe it's a, a good time and that we're not seeing any huge major releases well, right now. Didn't it go free as well? Part of it or something. Wasn't that something that happened as well? Where I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I also heard something about like streamers jumping into it. Like, I right. think I, I heard something recently that I think was along the lines of like, yeah, streamers are like turning into tuning into final fantasy as a, as an MMO thing. When a lot of people are like jumping in, so like obviously that's a lot of free advertising. And a lot of people just kind of like, ah, I'm curious about this. It is impressive to me that this game is still kicking in the way that it is. Like that is not easy. At right. All. I believe there. It's not free to play, but there is a very extensive free trial that lets you play uh, up to either the first or second expansion, even without having to pay anything. So, yeah, I, I'm curious how many people are going to start this game and then try the beginning, which, in my opinion, is frankly terrible, and then bounce off. But apparently this seems to be at least ongoing enough of an issue that uh, he met and made this letter and this statement. So I, people are sticking around, which is is cool. You also got to wonder what this means if people are leaving World of Warcraft, the other huge MMO. I've seen... Some people talking about how World of Warcraft has been bleeding subscribers. And so there seems to be a shift happening. Yeah, they revive. I mean, it's so crazy. World of Warcraft is so old. It was revealed at my first E3 in 2004. I'll never forget it. And it's still I mean, they revitalized it recently and stuff, but it's like, of course, it's going to fall off eventually. They have to kind of embrace that that's going to happen. I did see part of Yoshida's letter or something else he said was saying. I guess a lot of people that play Final Fantasy 14 shit talk wow. And he was saying like, well, let's, let's calm down on all that as well. So anyway, congratulations to them. And I think Square Enix made such a wise move with Final Fantasy 14. And I guess it goes to show what we're so critical of them trying to save the Avengers. But I think they look at it and they're like, dude, we we saved Final Fantasy 14 from certain doom by, you know, jumping in. And uh, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Number 10. In addition to upping the ante with Pro Evo, Konami is re-engaging another of its valuable IP, Yu-Gi-Oh! Indeed, the publisher announced a handful of new games as well as an anime, and one of these games will be coming to PlayStation. The game is called Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, and it will launch on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in time, likely in 2022. Not surprisingly, Master Duel is simply an updated version of the trading card game in digitized form, which of course brought Yu-Gi-Oh! to Western prominence as 
in Japan, it's also a manga and anime. Since the first Yu-Gi-Oh! game launched on PS1 in Japan, Konami has been involved, and the series first came to Western consoles when Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories launched in 2002 alongside a release on Game Boy Color and the following year on Game Boy Advance. The last Yu-Gi-Oh! game, Legacy of the Duelist Link Evolution, launched on PS4 in 2020, and an adaptation of its original 2015 launch also on PS4. So Yu-Gi-Oh! has not been dormant for too long, but this shows another re-engaging of Konami coming back. Yu-Gi-Oh! is a really valuable franchise for them. I was so the thing about Yu-Gi-Oh, I remember when it came to PS1, I was early in high school. I was a little too old for it. I was too old for Pokemon when it came out as well, but I just embraced that anyway. So I don't really know much about Yu-Gi-Oh. Dustin, are, have you played these games or the, the card game or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I was in in the phase one Yu-Gi-Oh era. I remember when it was like the Dark Magician deck. The, which that was the Yugi deck, and then there was the Kaiba deck, which had Blue Eyes White Dragon. And I remember even like playing in. I was never any good, but my local comic book store would do tournaments, and I would play and always lose, <laughs> like in the first round. But me, me and my friends, we loved to play Yugi. I remember the announcement at my school when the principal over the loudspeaker made an announcement that. Yu-Gi-Oh! Mon cards. He said Yu-Gi-Oh! Mon, like it was like Pokemon, but Yu-Gi-Oh! Mon cards <laughs> would be banned uh, because there were kids that were, I don't know, stealing or ma- making bad trades or whatever. But I, I, my love for the series doesn't go much beyond those early years, but I remember it being a, a solid card game, and obviously it still has its fans to this day, so it's cool to see it continue. I, I, every few years, I'm like... Hmm, Maybe that would be fun to check out. Maybe that'd be a nice little nostalgic trip. And then I just don't. But maybe this will be the one. <laughs> Chris, were you a you're similar age? So were you of uh, Dustin? So were you a, a Yu-Gi-Oh person? <laughs> no, I, I have a story <laughs> that I think might might send Dustin into a into cardiac arrest where I I was like, I can't remember how old I was. How old? How, how when was the first Yu-Gi-Oh card like was that 2002 yeah something two or yeah, three. 2000, yeah 2002 2003 I think it was yeah. in 2002 I woke up one day and I looked over on my dresser and I saw a big stack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards not mine had no idea what the hell they were I was looking I didn't know what Yu-Gi-Oh was it was just all these like weird drawings on these cards and I was like I don't know what this is and I don't care I don't know whose these are I don't have brothers or sisters or cousins who visit frequently, so it's not anybody's, anybody, any of theirs. So I literally, I was young enough to think that like, oh, it's probably some cosmic nonsense, a glitch in the matrix or whatever. And I took that deck of cards and I threw it in the trash, right in the garbage, because mm. I had so little interest. And then like I learned like years later, it's like, oh, that was like a gift from your aunt. She thought you liked those, so she left it on your night. And I was like... I couldn't understand the concept of a gift for no reason. I was like, it's not my birthday or Christmas. Why are you giving me a gift? Niceness? What are you doing? That's so bizarre. I just thought it was like a, gl- I thought it was somebody else's cards that were just like redistributed by some cosmic God that was just like, he doesn't deserve them. You can have them. And I just threw them in the garbage. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are like, oh my God, there's probably like a thousand dollar card or whatever the fuck in there. The, the, the red breasted genie. Or whatever the fuck it would be. Exodia. You had all eyes, five Exodia uh, pieces. What was it? Blue eyes, white supremacist or something? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> his his cross burning move. 
requires three mana. I only played those, magic. I don't know any of the other rules. Yeah. Th those those monsters were kind of like like some of the monsters were just like uh, here's just like a a woman in like a ridiculous like cosplay, and it's just like all right, well, yeah, I, I'll summon that. I, I, I think it's like a big deal. I know it is today, but it's like a big deal to get like certain artists to do cards and stuff like that. Their own their own interpretations. Mm -hmm. I played magic when it first came out in like the mid nineties in, into the late nineties. I wasn't very good at it, but these kinds of games appeal to me in a digitized format because I have no interest in collecting these things and playing with like people in real life, but it's very tantalizing to like, play against the computer or do like a little quest. So I'm always attracted to these card games, but I never ever get into them. And the, the you might remember that remember magic. The gathering was like an Xbox console exclusive for a while. And so like those games never even came to PlayStation. So I never even got a chance to try those during that era, although they've come since. So we'll keep an eye on this. Just another sign that Konami is, making a comeback here in some way. Number 11. I wouldn't usually put this in, but we really should talk about this. PUBG is getting an animated series and don't be too quick to roll your eyes because someone really awesome is behind it. According to website IGN, none other than Castlevania steward Adi Shankar is leading the project. PUBG, one of the biggest free to play games in the world that arguably invented and undeniably popularized the battle royale uh, style shooter is being intentionally com complimented by other projects outside of the core game. A wise move that will maximize its ability to stay relevant. As we know, a game called The Callisto Protocol is being created by a studio called Striking Distance, led by Dead Space co-creator Glenn Schofield. This show joins the expanded universe, and Shankar, of course, is absolutely beloved for his work in nerd culture circles, particularly with Netflix's Castlevania run, which he also executive produced. He's also helming other television productions on franchises ranging from Assassin's Creed to Devil May Cry. He told IGN in part, quote, as a player, I've been crushing the competition in the battleground since PUBG released in 2017, Ellipsis. To me, the animated project represents another step in the evolution of mending the torched bridge between the games industry and Hollywood. I look forward to revealing to everyone what winning a chicken dinner looks like, end quote. PUBG, or Player Unknown Battleground, launched on PC in late 2017 and didn't come to PS4 until the late the following year. There's no word yet on a native PlayStation 5 iteration. Chris, I had to ask you about this Um we're we all three of us love Castlevania and Adi Shankar has incredible, a incredible reputation right now. And I love what he says here. Quote, I look forward to uh, I'm sorry. He says, quote, to me, this animated project represents another step in the evolution of mending the torch bridge between the games industry and Hollywood. End quote. What do you make of this? I mean, I think it's cool. I, I, I think um, I'm not interested in PUBG at all. I almost forgot that Callisto Protocol was even <laughs> was even remotely tied uh, to that IP uh, because it just doesn't. It's just a confusing. It's a very weird way to branch out into your own kind of like studio and like your own kind of universe in the way that they've done it. But, you know, Castlevania was amazing. So like. I'm curious, and I, I don't doubt that the animation will be stellar. I don't doubt that it'll be something worth paying attention to. I do remain doubtful that it will pique my interest beyond that, but I will I will keep my mind as open as possible because I do like this guy and what he's done, and I do like the, his attitude about it where it's like, yeah, you know, he seems really focused on making quality stuff, and that to me is like, all right. I'll give it a shot whenever whenever this is this is probably like a ways off. But yeah, it's it's funny because. You know what this reminds me a lot of, Dustin, is. Eve Online and Dust 514 and people will remember that Dust 514 was 
was this PS3 exclusive shooter in that it would take place in the world of EVE Online actively. And EVE Online is all about planetary conquest and all of that. And then on the surfaces of the planet would be the gunfights that were Dust 514. And it was all supposed to be in the same thing, if people remember. And it was fucking dope, but it didn't work out that way. And so ever getting after ever getting burned as an, uh, when I was at IGN, believing that this game was going to be anything more than them just being full of shit, which they were. Everyone's kind of tamped down that cross that cross platform or cross feeling like the the microcosm of the game and then like the the broad strokes of the game and all the rest. What PUBG and others are doing, I think, is actually really smart. The Callisto Protocol is going to get me into that universe. I don't think it's going to I don't know if it's going to get me into it as a fan, but it's going to get me in through the door and I'm going to play it because Glenn Schofield is great. Jupiter is a great setting for anything and it'll be a lot of fun. So I have similar confidence here, although I don't know if it's going to be well-founded or not. It just reminds me a lot of that EVE Online Dust 514 thing where they're trying to bring people in in different ways to experience mm-hmm. the same exact universe, even though they don't play the same games. Right. To me, this is, I think the interesting aspect is just that, I don't know, maybe they're, they're feeling confident about the future of this world or whatever you want to call it, just because... PUBG, I feel like, is out of the the limelight. And I, actually, I do have. I just realized one one correction for you, Colin, is PUBG is not free to play. It still costs twenty nine ninety nine on Steam to to buy. Which maybe at this point it does it needs to go free to play. But it's at, well, it's a top seller under the battle royale category still. So maybe not. But it's I don't I don't hear about PUBG at all. And I don't think it's even really that big on on Twitch anymore. But maybe, you know, between uh, this show, between the uh, this this other game, maybe there's some some grand plans that they're they're confident in. Yeah, we'll see. I, I do think they're making the right moves by investing early and often in some of these things. Comparably speaking, I, I often made fun of Riot Games for riding for 10 years without announcing basically anything outside of League of Legends, and that's a massive mistake. You have to have things burning at, at you know at all times, cooking in the kitchen. So from that perspective, right. I'm interested to see it, but we'll see what happens. And I'm not going to watch the anime series or the series, but I doubt, but I am open to being exposed to this universe in a different way. Very much like, again, I was exposed to EVE Online through Dust514 because I was, I'm far too stupid to understand EVE Online. Number 12. The official, this is a wrap up. <laughs> the official PlayStation blog reports PSVR game I Expect You to Die launches August 24th and racing game Grid Legends comes to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 at some point in 2022. Website Push Square reports interesting JRPG Dodgeball Academia comes to PlayStation 4 on August 5th. That game looks great. Wrestling title Action Arcade Wrestling comes to PS4 on August 10th. Slick looking Metroidvania Recompile comes to PlayStation 5 on August 19th and fantasy themed Lost and Random comes to PS4 and PS5 on December 10th. The website also reports Arc System Works new PS4 and PS5 2D fighter Guilty Gear Strive has already surpassed half a million units sold. Website IGN reports unique visual novel Doki Doki Literature Club Plus has already surpassed half a million units sold only after a couple of weeks. Website Gamacha reports tactical games Strategic Mind the Pacific and Strategic Mind Blitzkrieg both come to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on August 5th. Adventure game Tetragon and puzzle title Faraday Protocol both come to PS4 on August 12th. Well-liked Tetris Effect Connected comes to PS4 on August 18th. Detective game Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot. I can't ever say this fucking French dude's name. We had an episode about this. Hercule Poirot. <laughs> Poirot. For, uh, whatever. He comes to PlayStation 4 on September 28th. Strategy shooter Le- Lemnisgate 
has been delayed on both PS4 and PS5 and will now launch on September 28th. Roguelite Ever Tried comes to PlayStation 4 at some point this fall. Arcade shooter Rolling Gunner and Overpower comes to PS4 at some point later in 2021. And both horror game Tormented Souls and Puzzler Inked A Tale of Love come to PS4 and PS5 at an unknown point later this year. The website also reports three-year-old fighting game Soul Calibur V has surpassed 2 million copies sold, while the more recently launched Super Bomberman R has surpassed the staggering 3 million copies sold. And finally, longtime Sony second-party studio Quantic Dream revealed that its 2019 PS4 game, which also later came to PC, Detroit Become Human, has surpassed 6 million units sold. So congratulations to them. Very good. All right, boys, we end every episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience as solicited on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Thank you for supporting us there. Andrew Orana wrote into us and said, hey, guys, hope you're well. I've been buying a lot of Vita and PS3 digital games recently, and, and it made me think, why don't companies make a modern version of old hardware for super cheap? I bet if Sony released a modern version of the PS TV that had a better Wi-Fi antenna and SD cards, it would definitely sell millions. Just me thinking of ways to save legacies of those devices before the hardware inevitably stops working all the best. I don't know if it would sell millions, but I like this idea, Chris, of and I've been long an advocate of this, too. Like, why wouldn't you just continue to make hardware? I know that it's like not convenient, but it would be interesting if Sony was just like, yeah, we have PS2s. We're still selling them. Like if you want them as opposed to having to go on eBay and hope for the best or whatever the case might be. Do you think there's some promise here? That's I mean, they're never going to do it. But would you like to see a situation where Sony was like, yeah, we sell $20 PS1s and $20 PS2s. And or would you rather them just put the, the time and effort into what we all hope they would do is to just make something universal? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would just prefer having proper backwards compatibility, to be honest about it. Like, like it, it would be nice to be able to get, like, a mint condition, like, properly working, like, brand spanking new PS1. But, like, other than, like, for what reason? Like, nostalgia? Like, you could, you could get a modded PS1 that does, like, way more than anything that Sony would let you do with a modern version of it. So, like, to me, it's it's not really that worthy of an endeavor, as much as, like... Personally, I would like to live in that world. It'd be kind of cool to be able to go and like, hey, I'm going to go pick up an N64 from Best Buy and it's like a new and then there's like new cartridges and shit like that. It's like, yeah, that'd be that would be a neat universe. But I would also just prefer to have my PlayStation 5, my modern PlayStation 5 that only takes up one outlet and one input be the hub for my PlayStation experience. I, I would rather be able to. Even if it's just, like, the way that those old systems ran. Like, it would be cool to, like, emulate the PS1 on the PS5. Like, or get, like, hey, I'm in PS2 mode, you know? And, like, kind of tweak the specs to run, like, a PS2. And have, like, the menu from there. Or, like, even the cross-media bar from PS3. And just have all the, this this celebration of all your... All the previous generations in one place uh, with modern hardware, with modern, you know cables and HD, all the benefits of HDMI and up-res and that to me is far more enticing than oh you can buy a, P a PS TV but it's better now like I don't need more devices I just need my devices to do what I expect them to do which is kind of what Xbox is doing really well like because I can go on my Series X in the living room and all my shit from years ago is on there and I don't have to hook up the 360 if I want to play you know the original version of you know gears or I don't have to 
plug in the original Xbox to play Fusion Frenzy. I don't need that. I don't need that extra hardware. I don't need that those extra cables. That is so much more enticing to me than just like, hey, here's a PS1 for $20 with new materials and a better chip. Like, Also, those things, by the way, would be like distractingly confusing because the tech that you would need equivalent to run ps1 games now would be so light that you'd pick up like a modern ps1 built to the same form factor and it'd be it would be jarringly light to right. the point where it'd be like <laughs> we already have the the minis technically kind of sure, like sure. that's kind of like a half step between what we're talking about but i would just rather they all be in the same ecosystem you know what do you think dustin i i can't escape this you know i know that this sounds so silly for mega billion dollar corporations that don't really need to nickel and dime necessarily although they do anyway but I've always been tempted, yeah. but like you see like limited run games, right? Or we published our games through East Asia Soft. Like does Sony realize that if they published 100,000 copies of the original burning of Legacy of Dragoon or Legend of Dragoon on PS1 that people would buy it? That like if they, so I, I often wonder, I'm like, do you have any notion of the value, the monetary value of your legacy and I think it would be kind of neat for them to start just publishing old games again and and making new, you know, old new hardware, cheaper, lighter, whatever, and, and embrace it that way. I think it, it is a very niche thing, but it doesn't mean that I wouldn't want to see that. Right. I, it would be cool. No, no doubt. I just think that the it would be too niche of a product in that the retro enthusiasts would never be into this idea. They are so set on original hardware and then everyone else i think would be like chris where they just want it to be either something that's tied to you know modern hardware with playstation 5 or uh they the ps1 classic which is just sometimes i think about that ps1 classic and it's so upsetting because it could have been so cool and it was (laughs) the exact opposite it was like the idea was right, but literally every other check mark with it was wrong uh, completely. Colin, your idea though about um, repressing some old games is I don't was it this show or a different show we talked about it? Like you can, for example, right now you can go on Amazon and you can buy a brand new copy of Chrono Cross from Square Enix for twenty three dollars. Like a PS one, so like a PS one copy. Yeah. From Square Enix. It's, it says, well, it says brand Square Enix and it's sold. Okay. It is sold from a different seller. I do remember this being a thing though. Let's see. They also have Final Fantasy Chronicles uh, for $22.99. And I think it may have also the been PS1 in the Square Final Enix shop. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So they've, there's been some people that have experimented with this, uh, with this idea. Yeah, I like the idea of that because you want to you want to hurt the after seller market. You, you just come out with stuff and just say, like, what the hell does Sony care? You know, they don't give a fuck if it destroys the value of your retro game collection. And if I were them, I'd, I'd probably be like, why? Why do they get the value of the retro game collection? We should just keep m- milking these things for all they're worth. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something to think about because yeah. physical games are just so big right now. And People missed out on a lot of games and they want to go back and buy them again. I feel like there's a lot of value there. Ryan Gerson wrote in us and said, hey, corpulent dingus coalition. Okay. After playing Ratchet and recently jumping back into the Division 2, I've been thinking about how a game feels, how it feels to press a button, move a character around with sticks, etc. 
Do you feel this has reached its pinnacle? Some games like Doom Eternal, Horizon, Dead Cells, to name a few, feel so nearly flawless in their feel. This is largely due to low latency inputs and a million other things on the design side. Do you, do you boys feel like this is as good as it can get with a gamepad? And what games do you think have the best feel? Thanks for all that you do. Dustin, I'm curious how you feel about this question. Pardon the pun. I do feel like games have reached a peak of feel. And this doesn't mean that you can't eat around the edges, especially in 3D spaces with how games operate. But when you think about a shooter, what shooter feels better than Call of Duty or Destiny or whatever, Doom, depending on what you're looking for in third person realm, Gears or The Division? What what game controls better than Dead Cells if you're playing a 2D or Hollow Knight or something like that? I do feel like there's something about that. And I often get confused when I play a game that doesn't feel right because it's as if they don't understand that someone else has just done this better and you should just embrace the convention. So what do you make about this question? Yeah, I think particularly recently we've had a bit of a, a huge boost in, in game feel overall. People remember who played retro games on, on CRTs having insanely low latency because everything was analog. And of course, uh, latency is just one one factor in this conversation, but mm-hmm. we lost something when we went to flat panel TVs for like much higher latency in addition to 30 FPS games. Uh, both of those were factors and also game design has increased to game feel. You think about something like uh, let's just take a shooter like Destiny. There's so many factors. There's la- latency. There's frame rate. There's what you see visually, like uh, in Destiny, you see the the numbers popping off of an enemy on how much damage you're doing. That is part of game field. The sound a gun makes, uh, mm-hmm. the time between reloads, all of that. And I'm really curious about Chris's. Chris knows this more than me because he, you have like an extensive knowledge about Halo and like what what attributes to that game feeling so unique. So, do you think I'm on the on the right? on the right track here yeah I, I mean i think game feel has a lot to do with i don't think it stops at the controller or at the inputs i think it has everything to do with right. like the auditory experience the visual experience even just something like in destiny specifically like the way that they go about sound design where not every gun feels strong or like it's gonna blow everything away but like you recognize the sound of a gun even when it's fired from across the map it's like oh that's the last word or oh that is that gun and you recognize it and that's like tactical information that you're absorbing even if you're not really thinking about it which leads to you feeling more involved and leads to you feeling more like you're present in the in the world and like they've always gone for this like stylistic approach over over um realistic which is i think a a lot of you know a lot of games could learn from that i think but i don't know man game feel is 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 such a complicated thing to talk about because i think people think differently about like what games feel good like to me to me crash team racing feels fucking amazing like it's it's such a flawless kart racing experience like it's so competitive it's so tight it's it's precise it's it's fast it feels fast it's it's really good then there are people who like prefer like the kind of floatiness of mario kart and like the weightlessness of mario kart and that's like a a benefit to that game to them whereas to me i i look at that and i think that's just a weightless kart it's kind of 
I, I don't feel anything from that. Like, it feels numb when I play that game. Or even something like uh, Colin and I disagree on, on Shadow of the Colossus. Like, you think it, it you, you're not a fan of the way that game feels. Right. Like, right? Like, as far as, like, moving around. But I remember playing it for the first time in 2013 or 2012, something like that, when it was on the PS3. Years after it was, it came out, years after plenty of developments were made as far as, like, development and, like, technology and game feel... And I played that game in 2013 for the first time, and I was like, this feels incredible to play because it felt fluid to me, like grabbing onto the hair and like dangling and watching like the physics kind of take hold of you and like it and the scale of it. It was just such a such a beautiful experience, even with the weird like oh triangle to jump or whatever, which is in a lot of weird. Actually, that's in Skyrim as well. That's how you jump in Skyrim is kind of Skyrim too, and Fallout, I'm pretty sure. But I don't know. It's it's a big question. I, I don't know what games have the best feel. I think one of the the games that have the best feel that are shockingly old. I think Mario sixty four is is like shockingly good still. Like it's definitely aged, but for that time to have that much control over your character and to have that much like physics at play and like to to understand like how physics would interact with like other things and like that is a really remarkable achievement for that time as your debut like 3d experience like on new hardware like where 3d will become the norm that is insane that game it wouldn't be insane if it came out in like 2005 it'd be like all right well here's another mario game but the fact that that game came out when it did in the state that it did is is astonishing to me but yeah especially all on a lot especially all on one stick basically yeah um, crazy yeah but you know they're i don't know we could go on for hours about this, like what games feel great. I think, I think Destiny feels great. I think Halo Three feels great. I think Shadow of the Colossus feels great. I think uh, Crash Team Racing are the ones that come to mind as like games that feel amazing, even despite their age. You know, not Destiny so much because that's newer, but yeah. All right, let's get into this next one. Chris Kenningham wrote in and said, "Hey CDC, not in the most recent episode, but one of the last ones. There was this the discussion of Ghost of Tsushima's director's cut, but it wasn't about paying for the newest DLC. It was specifically about charging $10 for the PS5 upgrade. I'm surprised to see you all take umbrage with this. These guys didn't have to do a PS5 upgrade. They could have said the game runs great on PS4 Pro Specs and left it at that, but they didn't. They went back to work on it and give us a better experience. That costs time and money. So in my mind, it only makes sense that they would charge for it. It's unfortunate that some people give this upgrade for free and others charge for it, but that's the market and it'll do as it pleases. Thanks for the great laughs and interesting conversations throughout the week. Thank you, Chris, for writing in. I wanted to bring this back up, Chris, because we've had a little bit of time to think about it now. And the more I've thought about this, the more I'm like, no, this is totally mm-hmm. unacceptable. The more that this has gone on, the more I'm, I think, why would you? I mean, why? Imagine 10 people or 10 million people. Or I'm sorry. Imagine a million people buy this at $10. That's $10 million. So it's it's not like some ridiculous amount of revenue. It's 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 nice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Sony needs to do this. And I feel like it just complicates things and makes the messaging more strange and harder to read. Do you, do you how are you feeling about this now that we've gotten a little bit of distance? Do you feel like Sony should be charging ten dollars to upgrade to Ghost of Tsushima from PS4 to PS5? Because, again, I find it completely outrageous. Yeah, I, I really don't. I don't th- I don't think ten dollars. The, the thing to me is the game feels amazing. As it is like I, I really sincerely don't see a real need for a PS5 upgrade. And I also don't know what that would even do. And they've explained what it does. It's like, hey, here's haptic feedback or whatever. And 
that's really it, really. Like, there's an upgraded resolution, I guess, but the game already looks pretty amazing. Uh, like, I, I just... I struggle to see the value in what they're bringing, especially considering... And, and not, not, by the way, I want to make, make it very clear. This is not about the DLC. Right, The DLC exactly. should absolutely... Right. Absolutely, the DLC should cost money, and they should charge... Whatever the hell they want to charge for it, to be completely like whatever they feel is 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 worth the the price of admission. I just think when you have the competition upgrading for free and just kind of having this smart delivery thing where it just kind of understands where you are and will just kind of tailor the experience to the thing you're playing on. And it's really easy. It's very simple and it works. I feel like that is a superior system than, you know, pay to unlock arbitrary things that are being included for free on the competing hardware. Granted, granted, the DualSense is its own thing, and there's a bunch of features, and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of work went into, you know, tuning the DualSense to this new version of Ghost of Tsushima. I'm sure the grass feels whatever, or, or sword swiping feels whatever, or like maybe there's some adaptive triggers in it that are, are being made use of. But as somebody who doesn't really care for the adaptive adaptive triggers and also who doesn't think vibration should cost $10. I I don't know. Like, I I can't reconcile in my head that it's okay to charge for this, specifically because what's being offered for this money is it just doesn't approximate, in my opinion. It is not worth $10 to just add DualSense support to a game that you've already played. It is not worth $10 to have... Japanese lip syncing that isn't really lip syncing because it's just AI generated like sound happens open mouth it looks like it looks like an anime it looks like a fucking it looks like Gary's mod or something it's not really lip synced it's just AI lip sync to make it a little less jarring which by the way I feel like they definitely could have fit into the original I I don't see why that was I, I, I don't know it's this isn't like some cyberpunk thing. It's not like they're being egregious, you know. I I don't think that sucker punch sucker punch is like knocked down a peg by this. I don't think that they're like you know significantly damaged in their reputation for doing this. It's it's just something that's a little confusing because they were so forward thinking with putting their multiplayer mode in the game for free that. It just seems a little it seems like that goodwill is a little bit undercut when when they charge for what is essentially essentially glorified vibration, AI generated lip sync that still doesn't look quite right and a feature set, including higher frame rates and higher fidelity that is being offered for free on other platforms when they decide to upgrade. And that's just that that's just how I feel about it. What do you think, Dustin? Because I, I do want to I, I agree with something that. Uh, pertinent that Chris said here, which is, uh, well, at least it's the insinuation is that I, I don't think Sucker Punch, Sucker Punch obviously doesn't itself make these decisions. Who knows what they would have done mm-hmm. if they made the decision themselves? But yeah, w- what do you think, Dustin? Do you think that they should be charging for this? No, and I think that other companies shouldn't be either most of the time. I think Chris made a very good point that it depends on, for, at least for me, the extent of the upgrades. Like, for example, Chris, right now you're playing the Metro Exodus. Uh, the updates for that are very extensive in their their graphics, um, their mm-hmm. ray tracing implementation. To me, 
that game looks like they could have charged $10 for the upgrade. They didn't, though. Uh, they made it free. That's why he said, the, uh, uh, let's see, Chris here, Chris, the, 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 the person who wrote in said, but that's the market and it will do what it pleases. Well, not everyone in the market is charging for these upgrades. Xbox is not charging for these upgrades when it comes to their first party. And the other thing is, too, is that, like, this would never happen on PC. There's been a few cases where they've tried to do it. Um, for example, I think like the Dark Souls has done that in in certain cases and it really pissed people off. Like on the PC space, like you get better hardware and the game just, you know, upgrades, which sometimes it's more boutique than that. But again, like with this specific example with Ghost of Tsushima, like it already runs very good at 60 FPS at a high resolution the things that they detailed, like the higher frame rate and the controller stuff, are cool. The lip sync thing is ridiculous that that wasn't even in the game to begin with. The fact that they're like tra- advertising as a feature that you should pay for is insane to me. So, no, in this case, I do not think it is justifiable of a $10 upgrade. I'll be getting the upgrade because I'm spending $30 on the DLC, but to mm-hmm. just charge $10 for that, I don't think is acceptable. Well, we'll see. I mean, we're going to see how people react to this. It is a little bit of a mixed bag, but I think you're absolutely right. That would never happen on PC. I think Sony's taking advantage and that's fine. But they're setting I think what they're trying to do to their credit is and this I said this about $70 games, too, is that they're saying they're trying to stand behind the value of their products so that if and when they decide to cut it off, it's not at the very beginning, but rather later on, because if they didn't charge for this, then they'd never be able to charge for anything ever again. And so I think that that's kind of a concern for them from a marketing standpoint. But we'll see what happens and how people respond when it comes out. I'll be buying the upgrade and the DLC. Actually, no, I won't. I'll be buying the DLC, but I'll be playing it on PS4. Fuck you, Sony. Sixto Rubio wrote in and said, (laughs) hello, gents. Hope you're all doing swell. I just bought the two Death Stranding novels, and I quickly noticed that on the back it says, quote, the first volume of the official novelization of Death Stranding, the new franchise from legendary game creator Hideo Kojima, end quote. Now, I may be just grasping at straws, but I thought the choice to use the word franchise was interesting. Do you think this could mean that more Death Stranding games are indeed coming, or is it simply some marketing words that ultimately don't mean much? As always, keep up the great work. Chris, you're our resident. I mean, we all love Death Stranding, but you're our resident mega fan. Do you think this means anything? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it means anything in, in the way that people, I think, in the way that uh, Sixto is, is implying that it means. I, I don't think you're going to see a Death Stranding 2. I don't think uh, you're going to see anything like that. I think it's plausible, though, that the Death Stranding universe could be leveraged in ways that are outside of games or even even outside of the genre of game that the first Death Stranding was. Like, I could see, like, Kojima doing something, like, weird like in a, in a different genre in that universe because be like the the art of that game is like really cool and like the, the BTs are really interesting and like there, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in that IP that isn't necessarily limited to games I could see like comics and shit like and, and that's just basically when you have books already right you have books and a game that's a franchise yeah right that's just the simplest answer to that is like if, if it's if it's just one game, then sure, like maybe it could become something when you have a game and you got novels and like you got, you, you know, that 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 is ostensible. That's a franchise. So it's it's really just saying what it is. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that as like some kind of confirmation of a second game. They wouldn't be so 
so stupid as to confirm a second game on the back of a book. <laughs> like, it, I don't think they would do that. So I think you're reading into it a little too much. What do you think, Dustin? I, I agree with Chris's assessment. I don't think we're going to get more Death Stranding, but it, it right. But but to Sony's credit, they they do openly say they don't invest in anything that can't be, you know, serialized in some way. Right. I think Chris is right in the fact that the word franchise is already being applied. Like I'm, I looked up the definition just to be sure. It's an authorization granted by a government or company to an individual or group enabling them to carry out specified commercial activities. So that book is part of the franchise of Death Stranding. An art book is part of the yeah. you know the franchise. There's two video games with Death Stranding and Death Stranding Director's Cut. Those two, they're two skews. So the franchise already is a thing. So yeah, Chris already nailed it. Yeah, that art book is amazing, by the way. Oh, I have it. I think I think you guys were right. I don't think we'll see more Death Stranding. I don't think there's demand for more Death Stranding. Frankly, I don't think it's sold very well to begin with, and. I think Kojima will be better off doing something new and Sony as well. Letting that go. Let, let's have some one offs once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Corbin wrote in and said, hey there, guys, I've been listening to Colin since his beyond days and finally decided to support the Patreon. Welcome, Corbin. Thank you. Have you ever played a piece of DLC that was better than the main game? Bloodborne is one of my favorite games of all time. I thought the DLC, the old hunters was better than the base game. Other games that come to mind are Dark Souls 3 with the Ring City DLC, Prey 2's DLC, etc., Appreciate all that you guys do. Stay well. Thank you, Corbin, for writing in. Now, Dustin, you know what came to mind for me with this one was my favorite piece of DLC probably ever is a 2009 piece of Fallout 3 DLC called Point Lookout. And mm. I absolutely adored that DLC. For people that are unaware of it, it basically you leave the wasteland, you go to an all new map. It's smaller and it's in like the Maryland swamps and you're dealing with like backwater shit. And it's super fucking cool. And I loved Fallout 3's run for the most part of their five pieces of DLC from Operation Anchorage, which was okay. That was like about the Chinese invasion. It was like a simulation of the Chinese invasion of the United States. And then they did The Pit, which takes place in Pittsburgh. But that's a game that came to, to mind for me where I'm like, I truly believe that in totality, a map of the Maryland swamps would have been much more interesting to, ex to experience than looking back Washington, D.C. itself. So that comes to mind for me. Also, some Bioshock DLC, specifically with Bioshock 2, the Minerva's Den DLC, and Bioshock Infinite's DLC, which brings us back to um, Rapture, is not better than the game, but I would say just as good as the game. Yeah. Are there any answers that... Well, well, well how do you feel about... You're a Bloodborne guy. I mean, how do you feel about Old Hunters? He's saying Old Hunters is better. Old Hunters is fantastic. Uh, very, very good. I would not say that it is better. In fact, I, I like DLC, but I've never... Even some of the best, I don't know if I would say that anything that I've played, I've been like, this is better than the main story. I will give a particular shout out, even though I haven't played it, is uh, he mentioned Dark Souls 3 with Ring City. Dark Souls 2 notoriously is the, the black sheep of that uh, franchise, but the DLC, many, many, many fans regard as better than the main game because they were able to take in what people didn't like about Dark Souls 2 and kind of like apologize with DLC that kind of fit more of the mold of what people wanted. What do you say, Chris? Where are you on the DLC argument? Are, are there any standouts to you that would be better than the, the main game? It's it's hard for me to say because I think I'm I, I think I'm along the lines of where Dustin is, where like I don't think I, I think because inherently DLC having to be built based off the game that you're already playing has less new things to surprise you with and less 
it's not you're not getting like a full-fledged sequel so you're kind of getting this half step of excitement so like nothing has ever been added to a game that i thought was more exciting than getting the game for the first time you know or like playing through the you know the game for the first time but i do think burial at sea is amazing yeah in uh uh, bioshock infinite's two-part dlcs i've heard very very good things about far harbor Mm. uh fallout 4's first i think first dlc I, i might be wrong on the numbering of that but it's one of the fallout 4 dlcs and fallout 4 was like kind of notoriously like you know, it's not super well received. I think people enjoyed it, but it was, you know, everybody agreed that it was like a bit of a step down. Far Harbor, I've heard nothing but good things about, even from people who like really genuinely didn't like Fallout 4. But I think it, generally speaking, I'm just not really a DLC guy. Like a DLC rarely holds my attention. Even Doom Eternal, as much as I love Doom, like there, there's these two chapters, The Ancient Gods, part one and two, I think. And I played through a decent chunk of it and it's good. But I'm not as excited to play the DLC of Doom Eternal as I am as I was when I played Doom Eternal for the first time. You know, I think it's just the nature of DLC. I just think I I like the feeling of opening something brand new and knowing that there's a lot new waiting for me. And DLC just never really has that because you're already kind of familiar with where you'll be or, or what you'll be doing. Or if there are new mechanics, they're they're very limited to the engine and like what mechanics are already in the base um version so just generally speaking nothing else aside from far harbor and burial at sea are are really coming to mind i i I can i can think of one that was shockingly disappointing which was you know not to get you negative but i I feel like ending spider-man ps4 with those like three like kind of like weird dlcs was kind of like strange because i felt like that (laughs) i felt like wow these these chapters uh, of DLC would have been really great if they had uh, the money and time to be fleshed out in like a proper sequel. Totally, I, I kind of felt. Totally, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like what a what a weird way to. I, I don't know. When you finish Spider-Man PS4, you kind of feel like you want more, and then you get it, and it's just kind of like this, not low effort, but definitely less effort than the main game. Well, certainly Type not. Story certainly doesn't like, require you to, or sh- shouldn't require you to go play the game again. See, that's like my whole problem with DLC is, I'm done. Yeah, and that's why it's fun to go back to games like I'm. I'm going back, like I said, to Metro Exodus soon and stuff. And there's DLC, and it's like, well, cool. I didn't miss it, so it's just I have no idea what the DLC is. I guess I'll just it'll just be part of the game. Like if you go play Fallout Four and you buy the season pass, then you have no idea what the DLC is. And that's the or Witcher 3, right? As another great example coming out later this year on PS5. That will be all folded in with oh. w- with the wine what what is it called water and wine or whatever the hell it's called. And yeah, blood right, and wine. Blood and wine, right. And uh that will all be folded in, so it'll be much more organic and then that's kind of how I that's why I'm it's one of the reasons why I'm not so keen on playing games immediately for the most part is because unless I just can't resist because you know it's going to get some not only updates that make it better, but you're also going to get these fucking DLC packs that I'm just never going to go play ever. I'm never going to play them. So that's my major hang up. Yeah. All right, guys. One last final one here is a fun one from Alan Galeno. who wrote in or I'm sorry, Alan Galliano. I think Alan Galliano. Hey, CDC, what's your favorite game or game series in a 2D pixel art style? So old school games. If you're not sure you have one, what series or game would you like to explore? I just finished playing Castlevania Chronicles for the first time. The werewolf is so hard after deciding to explore the Castlevania series and had a lot of fun. I have almost no experience with video games before the NGC. So this is all new to me. 
Keep up the good work. Keep killing it. Thank you. I think you mean GCN, which is the GameCube. I don't know why we wouldn't call it the NGC, but it just wasn't called that. All right. So I keep hitting the same franchises on this over and over again. I'm, I'm sure that I, I you guys have better answers, but I do want to reiterate his answer of Castlevania is, is right on. These games are horror games in a 2D setting with 8, 16, 32-bit, you know, pixelated graphics, and they're gorgeous. And I think a more modern 2D game that I would give a shout out to is, is certainly um, Shovel Knight, which is absolutely gorgeous as well. Chris, does anything stand out to you in the 2D realm that you want to give a, a, a shout out to in terms of pixel art? Not so not just 2D, but the pixel art 2D. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of I think of things like the messenger. Mm. I think the messenger is fantastic. I think uh, Celeste, mm. I think Dead Cells was was pretty amazing. Definitely. I, I really enjoyed my time with Dead Cells. Katana Zero is also like a really weird, really, really bizarre game. Hotline Miami is like a, a, a big one, too. But like one that I, I for some reason, and this is probably going to sound very bizarre. It's stuck with me for a long time, and I've, I've been wanting to wanting to go back and play it. Chasm? Yeah. For some oh, reason. Oh, yeah. I really like it's been in my head for a long time. That's not like an exceptional game by any means it's not like doing anything that anything hasn't any other game hasn't done before it's not particularly unique but i remember playing it and being like i this feels really nice like i feel really like i don't know like at peace (laughs) playing this game there's something really charming about it it's very simple it's uh you know we we talked about it on the show like a long time ago i think they sent us codes but I those are just some of the ones that I I don't play a lot of 2D games in fairness, but those are the ones that stick out to me. Um, Celeste in particular, I think is fantastic. Yeah, Celeste um, is really nice. Also has a really wonderful soundtrack, which brings it all together. Yeah. Where are you at with this question, Dustin? Yeah. Uh, so as far as actual old school games, of course, Super Metroid. Mm. So good. I did not play it growing up. I actually played it for the first time maybe four or five years ago now on the super nintendo uh classic and the game is fucking awesome so check that out as far as a modern one i'm gonna have to say undertale is one of my undertale is one of my all-time favorite games of all time it's an rpg game where you don't have to kill anyone if you don't want to you can fight or you can befriend and the game does really, really unique things, unlike any other game I've ever played, with the choices on how you play it and repeated playthroughs. It is uh, the only game I can say that, as cheesy as it sounds, I'm willing to be a little vulnerable here, I believe made me or helped me become a more empathetic person uh, just from the story. I, I love this game. I know the fan base is cringe, uh, but that's okay. You know, sometimes like something like Rick and Morty has a cringe fan base, but it's a really good show. Right. Right. I feel like Undertale is kind of like that. It is a fantastic game with really, really awesome ideas. Great, great characters. The The fan base might take it a little too far sometimes, but that doesn't shouldn't distract from sure. the original creation. No, I agree. It's it's an interesting choice. Very stylistic choice, too. I'm all about pixel art. That's all we're doing with our games is pixel art. So it's it's a really wonderful medium for artistic expression and seeing what people can do about with it, not only with really detailed stuff, but also like bigger, chunkier pixels and much more low res and all that's all really impressive and fun. Yeah. And um, so a, a really great stylistic choice for any game. And uh, yeah, thank you, Alan, for writing in, for being here with us. 
And thank you all out there for joining us for a lengthy episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We appreciate you. Chris, do you have any closing comments before we go? Um, Not really. I'm just uh, gearing up to get this move sorted. So, like, I- I'm hoping that I can find some time to play some <laughs> play some freaking games soon because I've been itching. I've been itching to do it. I just can't. I can't focus. Well, I have so much on my mind. I understand. Totally. Dustin, closing comments. Closing comments. Just a final thank you to everyone who bought tickets for the event. Totally. We're so we're yeah. so so excited, and I think I mean it's an excitement for the event, of course, but uh, just an an excitement about the the future about this. Last episode, Colin, you said like the the future of our events are going to depend on this one, and it's like we've already cleared the first barrier. Is there demand? <laughs> Um, and that's thanks to you guys. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a little again. scary to put yourself out there and not know. But yeah. we, we we put ourselves out there over and over again, and ju- it just gets better and better. So we're just going to keep. Well, we're going to keep doing it. To to be to be frank, and I think I told told you this, Colin, but like, I was like, maybe we'll sell all the tickets to our patrons by the end of the weekend, and there will be like, you know, ten to thirty tickets left for the public. Never did Ben and I expect that it would be thirty minutes. Like never in no reality. So. Uh, we were very humbled by that. So thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. We're looking forward. We're all going to be there. The three of us, Maddie, Cog, Dagan, Micah, Ben, we're all going to be there. It's going to be fun. Game of the, our favorite games of all time. And uh, that will be available to uh, probably on YouTube. I don't know if we'll put it up on podcast services, but on YouTube for sure, we'll make it available at some point. So you can check it out. Give us your feedback and all the rest. In the meantime, we'll let you go. We've held you long enough. We thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. We'll see you next time on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Jordan Mittman, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Chris Kelly, Avaristo One, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Corbin Dallas, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holt. Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, Htrons, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Jeffrey Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Rinsler526, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, 
Payton, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter86, Michael J. Sutherland, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travelis Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algaret, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubber, Ray Lager, Josh Yeager, Turbo Makes Games, Dan Parson, Martin Beck, Gavin, Brian Watkins, Joe Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Zach Binkley, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Kyle Thomas, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinnison, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. All right. Can you guys hold on a sec? Yeah. Thanks. We're, Chris, we're taking over the show. I don't know if we're going to cut this or just keep it keep it in. I feel yeah. like off the cuff here. But, uh, I, man, I got to say, I've, I've not seen that blue shirt in person yet. No, no. It looks, it looks beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a nice little shirt, man. I'm not trying to plug the store. I just legitimately, like, uh, you know, I haven't seen it. So I was like. It's a, it's a good little. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been, I'm probably going to put in another order pretty soon here. Yeah, you uh, should. I'm going to get that, I think. For sure. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, Rush was barking, so I wanted to just put him in my crate in my office. No, no worries. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.